0: hello everybody and welcome to the 274th episode of mtg fast finance the podcast that knows all about being unsuspend three and still qualifying as a staple in your weekly mtg finance diet mgg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation i'm your host james chilcott aka at mgg critic on twitter my co-host this week is travis allen aka at wizard bumpin on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: good evening james good evening everyone glad to be here and looking forward to an exciting week in magic finance uh look show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on
0: Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, another huge week for Modern Horizon 2 reveals. What do we have on the agenda? Oh, well, it's really shaking our agenda up.
1: So we're going to start this week with the metagame week interview. I see you have uh, actually changed this segment a touch. I presume a listener's prodding. Segment two, our top paper movers, where we'll talk about some of the cards that have moved the most in price this week, as well as some MTGO movers. Segment three, our cards to watch. We'll run through some cards that we think have a positive outlook. And finally, segment four, topic of the week. We're going to finish up all the spoilers that dropped between last week and this week of Modern Horizon 2. So uh, let's jump in here at the top, the MTGO metagame. Uh, we're going to start with what <laughs> what admittedly feels like extremely dated information already, which is the modern challenge from uh, yesterday or the day before, because it's modern, and Modern Horizons 2 has shown that we're certainly going to have a different looking format in two or three weeks.
0: There, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it looks very much like there's going to be some new archetypes coming down the pipe, but still worthy w- worth knowing what the top... Decks are in the format that they have to challenge and defeat for to take up slots in these top eights. We've been seeing a lot of blue red prowess lately, a lot of uh red white prowess variants. There's been Jun Death Shadow lurking about occasionally. You've been seeing blue black mill, um, you know, lots of Tron variants. And this week doesn't have much in the way of aggro. Um, almost all, everything we see here is. Uh, either mid range control style deck in the form of Death and Taxes, which finished fourth, running four Wasteland, Strangler, and four Bright Climb Pathway, notably. Um, and then first place was Dredge, so was eighth place. Eldrazi Tron was in second and third. Ad Nauseam in fifth. Boros Burn, uh, you know, a classic burn deck without much in the way of creatures um, compared to the Prowess builds. And then Amulet Titan in seventh, which gives you a pretty decent snapshot of the meta if you put the Prowess decks alongside
1: yeah yeah that's not bad um i, I think these are going to give us a good idea of what to expect moving into you know essentially our new world here in a couple weeks um if memory serves modern horizons didn't get rid of all of the uh the archetypes out there but it definitely made it had a pretty significant impact so we'll see some shades of these for sure as we move forward but whether or not uh, they look anything like this will be the wait and see
0: I mean, I don't think these decks are likely to change much. These these decks have been very resilient and have ridden out, you know, a variety of cataclysms in the format from Eldrazi Winter to Hogak and, and so on. Um, Dredge and Tron variants and Burn variants have stood the test of time. I don't think they're going to fall out of the format based on anything we've seen. The question is, you know, can any of these... Uh, themes that wizards leaned h- into hard with modern horizons two, can they elevate to the same level and it's worth touching on what they at least seem to have been trying to do in terms of giving us pieces to work with um based on us having seen the vast majority of the set as of today
1: i um, I, I i slightly disagree um in in a small part like yes we have the dredge here uh i mean dredge has been in modern basically since the format's inception but it's not the same dredge that we started out with um and i don't think the dredge three months from now is going to look like the drug that dredge that exists today like it's possible right like that that is that is a thing that could happen but more than likely it will be impacted by it tron has certainly been the most resilient um, all the, but Modern Horizons 2 is bringing something like four very clear playable hate cards into Modern, so we'll see if they're finally forced to adapt. But like Death and Taxes, uh, the Burn decks, like Amulet Titan have all, they've all had their faces changed sometimes in smaller bits than others in the face of kind of modern horizons and over the course of the history ad nausea might be the one well didn't they add the thas's oracle package i don't have it up in front of me
0: yes they did yeah and, and, so and, 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 let me, and let me and let me be clear i'm not saying archetypes are unchanged i'm just saying that they adapt and the continue existence forward of the, the existence yeah, yeah, yeah. Of i mean archetypes. all of these archetypes have new cards in the last three or four years but you know, Tron is still Tron. It still runs top end threats based on the 12 ridiculous lands that they shouldn't be allowed to have. And, you know, burn is still running whatever the best burn spells are in the format. And there's nothing that I've seen printed in Modern, Modern 2 that's going to make setting a burn clock or casting something for seven on turn three any less good. Well, sure. And I agree with that.
1: I agree with that, that it's it's not going to erase these archetypes. Sometimes archetypes fall in and out. But I think, I guess my point is to a, a broader one, that it's easy to sometimes forget the small adjustments that get made to decks over archetypes over the course of time. And then you get, you know, three or four years on, and you're like, oh yeah, it's just a drudge deck, but this drudge deck doesn't play like any of the cards that they used to play. And I think Affinity was a good example of that, because Affinity used to be an Affinity deck and (laughs) there haven't been any cards that with the word affinity on them in quite some time.
0: Well, and that, and that's an interesting point to bring up and, and to use as the platform to jump into the exploration of what wizards has tried to offer up on a platter for modern players to experiment with. (laughs) Playable affinity
1: cards.
0: (laughs) Well, they've given us both fresh affinity cards that look pretty solid and fresh modular cards so that that archetype has all sorts of tools to mess around with if it wants to. Yeah. Um, since we last talked, they uh, revealed Arcbound Javelineer, which is a zero-one one modular for one white, where you can tap it to remove X counters from it and deal X damage to target attacking or blocking creature. So kind of a, a worse but cheaper uh, walking ballista that has uh, can only affect uh, opposing creatures as opposed to killing players off. Um, but it's still a modu- modular creature for one in the colors that they have now... Positioned to potentially be used um, to renew this archetype, and what's important for modular is to have as many creatures as possible in the one drop slot, since the two drop slot is largely dominated already by Ravager and Ballista and uh, uh, Hangar Backwalker. Yeah, all so, that other good stuff. Yeah. So they also coughed up, as you you know, you mentioned the word affinity. They coughed up Ethersworn Phoenix. Uh, which is more of an EDH uh, affinity card. It's got affinity for artifacts, uh, cast seven white, blue, four, four, flyer with cascade. So it's going to cascade into something for six or less, uh, sorry, uh, eight or less. Yeah. Since it costs nine, that's definitely an EDH side thing. Uh, but they also showed us thought monitor, which is basically thought cast on a stick. This is six and a blue for uh, flying affinity for artifacts, construct two, two. And when it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards. So if you got 5 artifacts on the battlefield, this thing costs 2 and you get a 2/2 flyer and two cards. Okay. We're uh, we're really if we're you're trying to get into segment 4
1: already here and we're only in segment 1, James.
0: Well, I want to I want to go over the the archetypes that have been that have been thrown on the table. Uh, nice. As we you know, as the follow-on to talking about what happened in the modern challenge. So I mean, they're they're certainly trying to get something going with affinity. They're certainly trying to get put a ch- enchantress back on the table by giving us the most busted Enchantress card ever yeah uh, I,
1: uh, well eh, but it it I don't know about that but also uh you say back on the table but it hasn't been on the table in modern since the form I I don't think I've ever seen a playable enchantress deck in modern
0: well there's there's been enchantress decks for years they're just fringe
1: well and, you said playable <laughs> you said bring it back you said bring back enchantress it's like it was never here it was never well
0: here. but to, to my mind what happens with an archetype is People put together a list, it top 8s once, everybody goes, ooh, look what happened, and then you wait to see if it happens again. And often it does not. And so when I say it falls off the table, that's what I'm referring to. There have been Enchantress decks that have played top 8s uh, in major uh, tournaments. That that happened. Yeah. I... And, and, and you can argue that that Boggles and decks like that are, are forms of Enchantress in the sense that they look to, to compound the number of cheap enchantments that they put into play.
1: I guess, I guess I'm Voltron. being pedantic tonight.
0: Yeah, v- Voltron a threat and swing in there. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that Sithis Harvest Hand is at bare minimum a super commander staple. This is a green and a white 1-2 legendary enchantment creature, Nymph. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. So you've got life gain, card draw, and it triggers other enchantment matters cards because it's an enchantment itself only downside is it's legendary and that wasn't even the the only one they gave us and and they gave us a bunch of other enchantress style stuff uh solitary confinement was dropped into the format there's a bunch of th- tools for enchant enchantress decks to play with do i think they're likely to make a top you know be a top tier deck no but it gives it a greater chance to be fooled around with at an FM, and and those cards are also going to be casual favorites and edh staples
1: oh yeah some of those for sure for sure we'll we'll will do that work and i mean the enchantress is a good example of something that's going to make an an effort at showing up at competitive tables whether or not it succeeds is another question
0: and then also put a pump a lot of new cardboard into modern or into edh there's some pieces in here that make it look like they want mono black to be a thing. Um, there's some stuff in here that makes it look like they want reanimation to have oh, a yeah. fresh shot.
1: Reanimation for sure.
0: Um, there's there's looks it looks like there is a pretty good chance that the suspend cards are going to make their way into a powerful deck. Hard to believe Green Yogs will unsuspend, Demonic Tutor unsuspend, and Soul Ring unsuspend. Some combination of those cards will upgrade an As for Told or Electro Dominance deck into something playable.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm just chuckling because you mentioned As for Told and Electro Dominance is like, well, you want to talk about cards that I went to investigate today? I'm like, oh, well, maybe you know, As Vertold, I'm pretty sure is 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 already gone. But let me check in on ElectroDominance. dominance and who boy did that price move recently.
0: I've sold almost a dozen foil as for told near sixty yeah. in the last week. Yeah. Like I basically I they sell within a few hours of putting them up.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I I believe that. And the, even the electrodominances have, have jumped heartily recently enough that like you can't possibly talk about buying them.
0: So I mean th- and that's just covering the the impact that MH2 seems to be poised to have in terms of pro-offered archetypes. That's not even to talk about a bunch of the individual cards that are just going to slot into existing archetypes or modify them, um, as opposed to being build-arounds. So it's looking like a pretty exciting set. Um, and so far, I haven't spotted the Hogak, but we can talk in a little bit about maybe the top three candidates maybe we get when we get to the end of the cast. Yeah, For now, we'll minutes. jump... We'll jump over and instead of looking at Legacy or Pioneer this week at the prompting of uh, a pro trader or two, somebody had asked me in the ProTrader Discord this week, um, why during metagame do we never talk about EDH if that's the most dominant format? The answer to the question is we do, we just don't do it in that segment. The Typically entire comes... rest
1: of the episode is EDH. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, and it also, I mean, the, the core focus often in the specs portion of the week you know, cards to watch ends up almost inevitably hinging on level of EDH play above all else. And certainly that's been true for the last 18 months. So it's not like we ignore it. It's just not something we have highlighted specifically during the metagame we can review, primarily because we're looking at Magic Online results and looking at EDH results, Magic Online doesn't really, doesn't really, isn't a thing. However, there's certainly no harm in it. And given that everything's going to get shaken up shortly here, might as well review what EDH Rec tells us are the top commanders of the month, since there have been plenty of specs uh, that have already taken off on some of these and others that will lag. Um, so we'll, we'll dive in and see what this data has to, to recommend for us. In the last month, top commander... Uh, by a decent margin, is Ozgir the Reconstructor. This is the 4-4 from Commander 2021, which was the Strixhaven adjacent commander decks that are the annual commander decks uh, where you get five instead of two or three, and they tend to have more uh, new cards than the other ones do. Uh, Ozgir has got people excited because it lets you kind of take a fresh approach to a Boros deck where you can focus on bouncing artifacts in and out of the yard. So it's, got, it's a 4-4 four, four with Vigilance. You pay one sack an Artifact. It gives Ozgear plus 2, plus 0 to end of turn. But the big ticket ability is for X-Tap, you can exile an Artifact card with mana value X from your graveyard, and then you create two tokens that are copies of the exiled card. So you drop uh, a Soul Ring. You find reason to gain value by getting it into the yard somehow, or maybe somebody just killed it. And you use Ozgear's ability to... Exile the soul ring from your graveyard and get two soul rings back and give yourself a ramp boost. Now you can do that with any number of mana rocks, but you really start to get combo-tastic and and tricky when you start fooling around with the more combo-oriented artifacts that do things in the mid-late game. Or get huge artifact creatures, Phyrexian Triniform or something, and put two of those into play after one's dumped into your graveyard from somewhere is pretty nifty. He gives uh, Lorehold
1: some interesting options to play with in a way that they haven't had as much in the past. We saw him push a couple artifacts. Um, I think, you know, if we're talking about what Osgur's going to do in the long term, he'll probably drop down to a a middle of the pack. Maybe slightly better than that. Commander, I mean, he's not going to hang in the top 20, I don't think, beyond... uh, another two months or so
0: interesting I'll, I'll bet you he stays top 10 for most of the rest of the year well mm, i don't know with modern horizons too interestingly enough there, sell. there aren't that we, we can get into this a little later but there aren't that many fantastic new commanders in mh2
1: no there's there, th- there are
0: which is uh, a little surprising actually i was expecting more
1: I'm thinking that, um, you know, I'm not saying Ozzy's going to drop into the middle of nowhere, but like I'm going to go with he won't stay within the top 20. So you don't need that many out of Modern Horizons to add the pressure.
0: I certainly expect a big dragon, either Tiamat or Bahamut, to be a favored dragon coming out of the D&D set. And then we'll certainly get some interesting stuff out of the two doses of Innistrad lock sets that we're getting in the fall. Um, I can't remember if we're getting two sets of commander decks around to accompany those or just one for both that's certainly worth following up on and reporting back yeah I'm not sure either could not tell you second most played commander and it's pretty close like Ozgears a, a thousand in some decks and Vayron, voice of duality is about 900 so very very close uh, a Freet Wizard, 2-2 two, two for one blue-red. Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Veyron gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. But most importantly here, if you're casting or copying an instant or sorcery spell, causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, then that ability triggers an additional time. So anything else you have, like say you have an Archmage Emeritus on the battlefield where you draw a card when you cast an instant or sorcery, you would draw two cards. So you get two or three things that care about uh, spells being cast into play and Daeron makes them real nasty.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty cool. She, she uh, is nifty. I like the commander. Again, strikes me as a type of card that will be decent-ish popular, but not runaway popular. It's a very narrow deck. Like you have to build a deck full of instants and sorceries. And permanence of trigger on them, so it want you know it, that's going to just lead you to a lot of very similar card choices, which which is kind of what keeps I think a deck from being like a top five or top ten commander.
0: Because the play the the way it plays out isn't varied enough.
1: Yeah, like you can pick up uh, what's it, uh, Traxa, right? Who just proliferates every turn, and has four colors. So there's so many ways that you, you know, just off the top of the top of my head, you can build poison, you can build planeswalkers, you can build creature counters, you can build artifact counters, um, tokens, right? There's a lot of different tool like p- various paths. And within each of those paths, there's a lot of room. But Varin is like, you have to fill your deck with like 30 instants or sorceries. Um, and you have to also put in a bunch of permanents to trigger when you cast instants or sorceries. Those are such narrower card choices. That it just doesn't give you the, the breadth of uh, options that you know the all time great commanders like Golos do.
0: Speaking of Golos, still third place, uh, two years later, um, 740 decks in the last month, and then Atraxa is in fifth, uh, one of the top five commanders of all time. I think if we look at commanders, top. By past two years, uh, Golos number one attracts the number two. Yeah, uh, both over five thousand reported decks just on EDH rec.
1: And I don't see that flinching.
0: As you said, they're both such they're both commanders that are so flexible. Like Golos is just the five color do whatever you want commander. Yep. Uh, and as you said, attracts happens to embrace a bunch of the most don't like most repeated themes in Magic's history. So she just has so many tools to play with, right? Um, and and is in the end is in fact the only commander I have built two different ways. So <laughs> I, I, I literally have a long box, uh, fancy long box that has the my copies of a, various copies of attracts in the front, and then it has the plane planeswalker build, and then the creature counter build, and I just switch them out as I see.
1: That's kind of funny.
0: As, yeah. as whimsy de- determines.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's just the way that it shakes out that, um, th- you know, it's not the either. you know, Atraxa is pretty powerful, but she also has a lot of options. Golos is like, it's not even like he's a particularly fascinating commander. He's just useful at what he
0: does. Both Golos and Atraxa are commanders you can not cast the whole game and still be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah
1: which is also like the least interesting thing your deck can do but
0: i i find like a tracks of planeswalkers there's a lot of turns where ca- casting tracks is not the best thing i can be doing
1: mm-hmm. it, it does seem like the type of with a track so like you've kind of run out of steam or you know you've built your engine and now you know oh, i don't have anything great in my hand like now i guess i'll run out of tracks because i've played out most everything else um and Golos is like, it seems like he's the type of card where you wait until you, you might cast him on, maybe on turn five, right? Let me look at him. Cause he, yeah, you cast him on turn five for the ramp trigger and then he'll die. And then you'll wait until like turn 14 when you have a ton of mana and, you know, everyone's kind of run out of gas and then you cast him and start activating him. Well,
0: I mean, Golos play a lot of ramps, so you'd be casting him on turn three pretty easy.
1: Sure. Three, four. Yeah. You cast him the first time as soon as you can, and then you revisit him later on. Like, maybe.
0: And then our fourth place uh, commander is Lathril, who's at a, pretty much neck and neck with Golos and Atraxa. And Lathril is the top commander out of the Kaldheim commander decks that came out in January. Lathril is two black green for a 2-3 menace elf noble. When uh, she deals combat damage to a player, you create that many 1-1 green elf warrior creature tokens, and then you can tap... Lathral and tap 10 untapped elves you control each opponent loses 10 life and you gain 10 life so elf ball just fill the board with elves and then kill people with the 10 life trigger presumably by making Lathral hexproof and and or indestructible at some point along the way
1: uh yeah or at least giving her haste somewhere i i continue to be mildly surprised at how popular elves are in edh um, it's just elves are a very versatile tribe but at the same time it's still all elves uh, but there always seems to be an elf deck hanging around the top or if there's not you know it's not it's not long before another one shows up another you know, set or two and they get you know commander gets several weeks in the top slots
0: people sure do like that creature type rounding out the top 10 quickly without delving into them too deeply Corvold, Faker's King, the Sack king of sacrifice yuriko uh tiger's shadow uh the ninja commander Extus orc overlord being the top commander out of strixhaven uh, uh proper as opposed to commander 21 and then kenrith the returned king is one of your other five color commanders that you can basically uh build in similar fashion to Golos, and then the Ur-Dragon is your five-color dragon commander, who is likely to see even more play as the summer goes on and we get a bunch of more dragons in D&D.
1: Yeah, when Tiamat shows up. Mm-hmm. And various other dragons, most likely, given that so it's the namesake.
0: Normally, you would expect to get a black, red, green, blue, and white dragon, at minimum, in a and d set.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Are there actually that many dragons in D&D? Shit tons. Are there? Yeah. Because it always seemed like the power level on those was so high, you know, in universe that it was sort of like, yeah. But you, you have talked like, about them, but they weren't.
0: In the monster manual for D&D, you bas- they're basically categorized by their age. So you first fight a green dragon Wyrmling when you're like level five or whatever, and then it scales up hmm so pretty much at any point in the game you can drop a dragon in front of your party now you don't do it all the time because you want it to be special but i mean there's certainly a shit ton of options for gotcha. dragons and dragon type entities i see and, I and see. there's also a race called the dragonborn which are basically dragon people right yes like bipedal dragons yeah i've heard of, of that in the pro trader campaign there's two of those there's a you guys are running a pro trader D campaign yeah. See, you don't spend enough time in the in the Discord. <laughs> that channel's been up and operational for ages. Huh. Interesting. They, yeah, I run that Sunday nights. Eight people. see mm-hmm. They uh, yeah, and uh, they're operating on Ravnica.
1: And oh, <laughs>
0: they're in big trouble, actually.
1: Well, good. Blow up Poor Ravnica. them. Bored of it.
0: Uh, top paper movers. Lots of action. Almost all of it having to do with MH two. Yeah, this is a long list. Krark's Thumb, just non-foil copies from Mirrodin. Uh, 30 to 44 on the back of Usury Fortune's Flame, which is the uh, clearly Commander-esque uh, designated card from MH2 that lets you flip coins. I think it's every time it attacks, you flip up to five coins. And if you win them, you get a bonus. can't remember if it's drawing cards. Uh, and if you lose, you lose life. Kirk's thumb lets you flip twice uh, for every flip, so that's going to be real annoying because no one wants to watch you flip ten times every turn. Yeah, that's actually like an extremely obnoxious play pattern. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... not it's not a commander I have any interest in building. The whole flipping coins constantly at the table. I mean, I can't even stand shuffling during during EDH, let alone that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree that like
1: uh, that. Uh, yeah, EDH has a little bit too much shuffling. Uh, but yeah, the coin flipping is bad. Also, uh, I did the math, like I, I didn't do the math, including the Crock's thumb Without our thumb. It is very unlikely to hit five heads in a row. Yep. Uh, so even with correct thumb, I, I feel like it's probably not that much better. Like it might be three times, four times better, but that's still probably not enough better.
0: It's one in 32 to hit five in a row, right? Is it? Well, two, four, six, eight. No two 16. four no 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 double them two four eight sixteen thirty two
1: two four eight six okay I'm sorry yes I, it's one less than I thought it was that's what it was so it's not too bad so yeah I guess Clark's thumb is better I must have been looking at something else when I was thinking about that it's um yeah Clark's thumb does make that difference
0: plenty of math geniuses in the Discord so I'm sure somebody will point out if we're wrong yeah the uh, as we're told non foils twenty two to thirty six off the back of all the suspend action in MH two as I said I've been selling foils near 60 pretty like without even trying hard those those could if the deck's real those foils could top 100 bucks this summer mm-hmm. if the deck's real if the deck's real uh and then and, and people can actually play it but you know we'll see what happens uh arcbound ravager dark steel original non-foils 14 to 23 uh people thinking that an affinity build may show up although i haven't seen a, a proposed list yet of how all these new elements come together. Uh, me neither.
1: Um, I've seen a couple of various lists, but not like not for that archetype. So that'll take a week or two, a couple weeks, is for people to
0: proxy them up and grind some games and see what works. Ancestral Vision at a Time Spiral Remastered, recent reprint, 5 to 10, just on the back of all the suspend action and the assumption that one of the things you'll want to do for free in those decks is draw three cards. Uh, I think I can agree with that.
1: Yeah, I was poking around some of those lists, and I I think that those decks definitely got a shot in the arm here with the various tools. Um, But one thing that is unlikely to change is they're still going to want to cast special Vision. Turns out drawing three cards is still very good, kind of no matter what the rest of your plan is. And it's also totally fine to put that card on Suspend 1 or Suspend it at the start of the game
0: if you happen to have it in your opener and just refill after you've gotten a couple turns in vengevine latest printing in double masters last fall going from 7 to 14 on the back of the uh, presumably on the mh2 evoke creatures people thinking that they're going to find ways to cast free spells early on and then drop a vengevine into play
1: yep um yep we'll talk about that a little bit more later
0: I would imagine Torpor Orb from New Phyrexia moving from 9 to 18 is the same deal. People thinking they're going to have to stop the Evoke triggers from going off and wanting to have that option out of the sideboard.
1: I think, yeah, that's probably yeah, the Evoke triggers, um, and that could also be as Imperial Recruiter as well, which I've seen a lot of discussion about. Um, so hitting both of those
0: is appealing for people who are looking to not put up with anything, anything <laughs> like that squirrel nest foils from Mono horizons went from a dollar to 250 not the kind of thing that's going to make you money immediately although you should certainly keep your eye on the buy list for all these squirrel cards um you know that's just stuff you want to pull out of bulk and if i was looking for a way to sell that kind of like one to five dollar squirrel card stuff that you have lying around i would put it up as a package on facebook or ebay just be like here's five to ten interesting squirrel cards that make sense that are Supposedly worth something right now, and TCG is ninety on them, and I'll take sixty. Here we go. Yeah,
1: and that's that's the also that's also the type of person, the market type to want to do that type of thing, like yep. oh I'm going to build a squirrel deck. Oh and look, this guy has five of the cards I need to buy anyway. Is how convenient.
0: Yeah. Electro dominance of uh, Guilds of Ravnica foils from eleven to twenty eight. Same thing. Uh, the card that made as foretold uh less of a one-trick pony was electro dominance because it allows you to cast it cast one of the suspend spells for free basically uh and well for two red i suppose uh and so that's on the move vindicates being added to modern i don't know if that matters but it hasn't stopped the original printing from tripling uh going from 11 to 11 or 12 dollars to the mid 30s Uh, Not super easy to find original copies from Apocalypse. Uh, No, Uh, Vindicate is funny because it
1: used to be quite a pricey card um, and was definitely kind of a chase card. It was good in Legacy. And then they printed it and printed it and printed it and printed it. And I think this card is like three judge promos, like ludicrous. Um, And now it's a lot more affordable than it used to be. And I also don't think this matters in modern. Like, I think it might see occasionally one ofs and, like, that's it.
0: They gave us a black reanimation spell that is, what, one and a black? Yep, Persist. And it animate. Yeah, it's called Persist, and it basically is an animate dead, but only on your own creatures, and they have to be non-legendary. Yeah. Uh, and then they revealed a decent target for it the other day, Archon of Cruelty, six double black for a 6-6 flyer. When it enters the battlefield or attacks... So it's got that uh, Titan, Primeval Titan and Friends set of triggers. Target opponent sacks a creature or Planeswalker, discards a card, and loses 3 life. You draw a card and gain 3 life. Not the not, not the worst thing to discard into your graveyard on turn 1 and put back into play on turn 2.
1: Yeah, it's got the... It basically just is um, Cruel Ultimatum, right? It's the whole point of that. Yeah. Yeah believe that's like well a now i rule. haven't looked at cruel ultimatum i think that's almost the exact tax and no cruel Ultimatum's is fives
0: yeah it's, it's slightly different but still if that ends up in play as a five six flyer you've got a six point life swing and a two card swing you'd be doing all right
1: yeah yeah this that's a a good target for them to have printed because it doesn't just shut the door on your opponent um in the way that like other things that you reanimate can but it's still quite potent. Like you're, you're glad you did it. Uh,
0: and they can, they can path it, but they can't bolt it or, or uh, fatal push it.
1: Yeah. It. Yeah. Right. Right. It gives you, it gives you some definite value for having pulled off. But it doesn't necessarily end the game on the spot in the way that you know, like if you manage to get a tide spout tire in the play and untap with it, the game's over.
0: Burn has to wait. Waste two burn spells on it. The prowess decks can't fly through it because it's flying. So they've got to waste uh, like a stormwing entity plus a burn spell on it. Mm -hmm. It's
1: it's a pain and they've already suffered the trigger. So it's definitely resource intense to to get rid of.
0: And as a result, footsteps of the Goryeo is one of the other uh, reanimation spells that can work uh, in this kind of an archetype. So we've seen this uh, card from saviors of Kamigawa that's been largely forgotten in modern for ages, go from four to $12 this week arcbound ravager secret layer version uh 10 to 30 yet another secret layer getting there pretty easily and keeping in mind that they gave us arcbound ravager in a secret layer heading into this and gave us squirrels in a secret layer within the last year as well you got to start to wonder whether you should be paying closer attention to the clues being tabled in secret layers uh
1: so you're saying like they gave us a squirrel secret layer which so then they gave us squirrels in modern horizons. They put Arcbound ravager in. they gave us modular and affinity stuff. What have they done recently? I mean, the most recent secret layer drop was like all lands. We'll, well say the lands la- and then like, are you
0: coming to the show? The meme lands thing is a different matter, but when they give you a strongly themed thing, that seems out of place, at least ask yourself the question, is this something that could be forthcoming now? counterpoint to that is they also give us a fairies secret layer we haven't seen anything in the way of fairies yeah and and we're unlikely to like fairies aren't a big thing in DD, so i wouldn't expect to see much of them there and they are very unlikely to be a big thing on innistrad
1: yeah that strikes me as more of a uh you're seeing a Pattern. There's an expression for this, and I can't think of it. You're seeing a pattern where there is none. Sure. Yep. It's possible. A, a, yeah. But uh, but but I, I I have been tempted to do the same thing. Right. You can look at the one that we just had because not only did it have the full text lands, it also had um, all the shocks and stuff like that. So you'd be like, oh well, this one was really heavy on lands, so maybe we have like a big landfall thing coming soon. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I could
0: understand why you would be inclined to think that. Well, it's going to be really funny if they reprint the Shocks into the in- 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 via Innistrad. But it seems real soon. Like, I-, I think the Shock Secret Layer was more of a nod to we're not going to see them again for a while. Because we just had them in a Ravnica block a couple years back. Give them to us again. They're going to say, you guys should be good on these for now. And then back off it for another couple of years. And we'll get them in, like, 2024 or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe not 2023. but Or 2022,
0: but probably 2023. I don't think they're... I don't think they're willing to wait that long. Uh, Shardless Agent being reprinted into Modern Horizons 2, and uh, non-foils from EMA jumped from 4 to 13. Uh, Not really crystal on that one, because it's the Modern Horizon 1 cards that only exist in the CBs and only as foils, etched foils and foils. Shardless Agent is just in the set. So... If you can get, you know, if this is a bump where people are saying even printed into modern, if it sees play, it can't be worth four, it must be worth thirteen. I would remind you that Giver of Runes, Goblin Engineer, etc., held sub five dollar price tags coming out of Modern Horizons peak supply. And though Goblin isn't wasn't doing much in 2021, in 2019 it was in the Urza deck and was doing just fine. And Giver was already doing work in Modern as a 4-of pretty early on as well. So I'm not convinced Agent can hold, say, a $15 price tag, even if it's in regularly as a 2, 3, or 4-of in a in an archetype in Modern.
1: Yeah, this card, even discounting the 3 Modern Horizon 2 printings, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 printings of this in paper already, I mean, none of those were like huge dumps of cards, but that's a lot of copies for something that's getting three more added. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I know that prices on stuff like this tend to go up in response to them being reprinted, which is a little counterintuitive. But I would agree that it doesn't make any sense to me that these will hold price. Whenever I see stuff like this, I think of this as be people who don't really get it. who don't really get MTG Finance thinking they see an opportunity and rushing out and buying cheap copies and kind of forgetting that like you don't you don't actually need those <laughs> like like the price is gonna go down because we're about to get a bunch more um yeah That's
0: now my, the the exception here is the judge foils which were you know this was it was rumored that this card was being reprinted months ago judge foils are currently available down to 11 listings on TCg sitting at about 50. If it's actually playable in Modern and sees regular play, those are going to be over 100, even though they're using the same art.
1: Uh, Yeah, the Judge Foils will probably go up just based on rarity.
0: Now, they do have competition because the old Border Foil Shardless Agents are going to be hot because those are relevant in Legacy as well. Uh, And there's a Borderless version with Solid Art, although I think I prefer the original. Um, The... So this this will be a very curious case study where you have original printing uh, was in plain chase twenty twelve so it didn't have a foil first foil was an EMA you got the judge promo and now you've got three different foil versions presumably coming out of no four different foil versions coming out of Modern Horizons two because you have borderless pack foil retro frame foil and retro frame foil etched. <laughs> so uh it's it's not like the market will not have options there there yeah you've got judge the old border the full art
1: i'm inclined to like the old border one just because i like old borders but i don't love love that art so i could see people preferring the
0: extended art even though it's not the greatest but one of the things i think one of the things i think is interesting on tcg players because of the way they lay out the cards in this particular interface anything that is uh, done differently jumps out real hard. So secret mm-hmm. layers pop up right off the page. Um, the borderless cards tend to pop right off the page for Shardless Agent because there's nine listings here, but only one of them really seems different than the others at first glance. Uh, yeah, I, it does
1: heavily reward the most distinct copy of a card in terms of recognition.
0: All right, so moving along here, we've got Crashing Footfalls non-foils from one to four. This is it makes two 4-4 Rhinos if you uh, throw it into play off of Electrodominance or as we're told. And that deck has done things in modern before, but it wasn't really good enough. It was like a tier 2.5 or tier 3 deck. So it went away. Um, now people will try it again. People are buying all the pieces to do so. Foils also doubled from 10 to 20. So if anybody went in on those when we were talking about them in 2019, might want to pull those out of the bad spec box and put them up for sale.
1: <laughs> I'm. This is funny because I sat down for this to start picking up cards for this uh, episode. And I hadn't looked at the list of movers. I had only, you know, I just sat down and started looking stuff up for myself. And when I finally tabbed over here and saw the top movers, I was like, I must have Googled, or must have Googled, I must have looked up like, seven of these. <laughs> Seen the price graphs and went, okay, gas people already got there. And Crashing Foot Falls was was one of them. Was a card that I found and I was like, let's take a look. And it's like, oh, never mind. This is
0: already out there. Rashida Scalebane out of Mirrodin four to twenty. That's just reserve list spike of the week. Sanity grinding out of Eventide three to sixteen. I think there was a mill related card for EDH that was revealed from MH2, but I can't recall it off the top of my head. Yeah, me neither, but I do think there was something with Mill in the set. So anyway, assume that that's Mill action for EDH driving that one. Uh, I'll see if I can find it as we go along here. The Wrapping things up, we've got Fire and Ice out of Apocalypse Original Foils going from low 20s to something over 100. Call it 150 if you believe TCG posted prices, but... Probably better to look at market as per usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reprint into modern. I'm not convinced it is good enough for modern, but it does. It's a flexible card that's typically cheap. You can throw it on a uh, isochron scepter, and since both sides cost less than cost two or less, I think both sides work, right? Yeah, I believe that's all that works. You can cast both halves. You can cast either half of it. So I mean, I'm certainly going to try that because. that was that was a combo in that bad deck that would that was always on in the corner of my eye as be really nice if this was in modern because then this deck would be better
1: isochron scepter is like probably like the the ninth or twelfth card on the list of things people tried when modern was a new format but could never make it work um I would have to guess Fire and Ice was not what the deck was missing, but
0: maybe. Well, there wasn't a good card draw spell. Doesn't Ancestral Vision work with that? No, I don't think Scepter works with the the free
1: spells. It's been so long since I've been in the weeds of this stuff that it's hard to remember
0: these, these small rules interactions. But Ice is really nice on Scepter because it's tap something down and draw a card. I, no, I think this... When it enters the battlefield, I exile it... Oh, an instant card, that's the problem. Those are all sorceries. Yeah. That's why it doesn't work. Yeah, but ice ice being able to tap down any permanent means you can Rashad and Port a land and draw a card. Yeah. Off yeah. Scepter. That's pr- about as good as it as <laughs> as a Scepter target can get. Because you can yeah, tap, I mean, tap paying, an attack or tap a land, whatever. You're paying two to do it, but it's not terrible. I mean, I'm not going to say this
1: can't work. I would be surprised if the missing piece was fire and ice, but we'll see. It's just Isochron Scepter is a artifact, a two mana artifact that um, costs another two to activate. So you're four mana in, uh, you know, th- there's a bar there. There's a bar to clear there. Uh,
0: by no means am I pro offering that Scepter is suddenly a thing. <laughs> yeah, but, fair, fair. But they did get Counterspell, too.
1: True. True. Maybe this is a sleeper ice cron scepter hit and we just don't we don't know we're living in its world yet. <laughs> you put Delver Secrets in that deck, uh, Ice four Ice crown Scepters, and then you just fill it with fire ices and counter
0: spells and all that nonsense and I mean I'm gonna I, I probably have a foil fire and ice that's supposedly worth a bunch of money now, so I should go find that too. Um, time to start taking all the old border foil uncommons that are sitting around in the collection and put them into hard cases and add them to inventory. Mm-hmm. The if people haven't already done that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and build yeah. Scepter, and then I'm going to get my ass handed to me by four or five of these cards we're going to talk about later. Uh, <laughs> final mover of the week, Electrostatic Field out of Guilds of Ravnica. Sorry, yeah, Guilds of Ravnica. Foils $3 to 30 ish probably somewhere realistically between 20 and 30 That's on the back of Prismari decks in EDH, probably Vayron. Um, most importantly, because whenever you play an instant sorcery, you do one to all opponents and Bayran doubles that. So you're doing two, you're shocking all opponents when you cast instance and sorceries. I
1: bet when your opponent, when you play that, your opponents are shocked. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a lot to say on that top magic, pun.
0: top at magic, online, top magic online movers of the week. Elvish Warmaster out of Cal uh, time. I put Kaladesh here, but it was Cal time uh 0.78 ticks to 1.26 61% on the back of elves mh2 support in modern i think people are thinking they're going to try to bring do make some sweet elves decks i guess that's one of the archetypes we didn't mention uh, earlier on that looked like it was getting support sprite dragon out of uh icoria 0.06 ticks to 0.15 it's boy it's real hard to make an uncommon expensive that gets drafted and drafted and drafted I mean, Sprite Dragon might be the most played creature in Modern right now. Pretty close, probably. Let me just see if, that, if that's true. Sprite Dragon... No, Monastery Swift Spear would be higher, for sure, because it's in multiple decks. But Sprite Dragon is the 8th most played creature in Modern. Still a lot more than I would have expected when Ikori was released. It's Swift Spear, Lurus, Snapcaster, Walking Ballista, Cleave Apparition, Soul Scar Mage, Core Firewalker, believe it or not, (laughs) Sprite Dragon, Stoneforge Mystic, and Oriok Champion. Firewalker and Oriok Champion are a response to this prowess meta for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm really amused when you look at a list like that and like the first
0: four creatures are
1: all close to the same deck and then like... 7th, 8th, and ninth are the hate creatures to deal with the top four. And you're like, this doesn't seem like the healthiest creature meta.
0: Well, it's a, it's a little different than that. I mean, Lurus is all over the place. Swift Spear is in all the, the aggro red decks, prowess decks. Snapcaster is in different decks. And Walking Ballista is mostly in the green-white creature combo builds.
1: Yeah, this this one isn't, isn't quite that distinct. But, you know, you can see, like, okay, the first is Monastery Swift Spear. And, like, the fifth place creature is is the hate bear you play in response to the Swift Spear decks.
0: Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is m- more dramatic than that. Now that said, I could see Sprite Dragon continue to climb because if they don't drop more inventory into Magic Online, but pe- but this stays a deck, then more and more people have to own copies along the way. And there could still be double and triple ups to be had on Sprite Dragon, I would imagine. So Test and Champion out of Theros Beyond Death, going from 0.03 ticks to 0.13, uh, probably on the back of Enchantress support. And I would guess it's not mod- people thinking it's a modern deck that they are grabbing cards for, but maybe they're just excited to do Enchantressy things in EDH on Magic Online. Uh, hmm. hard, hard to tell. I still haven't seen a list that would justify also doesn't really make sense to me that Calix destiny's hand the enchantment focused uh, planeswalker out of theros beyond death would go from 0.03 to 0.14 ticks 367 percent uh on the back of modern aspirations seems very much more like a edh thing that's yeah that's one of those things where i see that and i'm
1: like all right people saw a three cent enchantment planeswalker and looked at all of the enchantment cards in the set and went eh, three cents each I'll roll those dice like sure you know if i i'll spend a dollar to buy a handful of copies and if i get really lucky these things will be like 12 bucks and if they don't whatever i'm out a dollar
0: that's gambling <laughs> all right so moving on over to cards to watch this week I'll kick things off uh, with my first selection. I'm going to go with Extus Oric Overlord Foil Extended Art out of Strixhaven Collector Boosters. Currently available for $18. i am flagging this because $18 is not an, an amazing entry point uh, for a foil extended art, but it's a lot better for a Mythic than it is for a Rare, which I usually like to get under $10. Um, I like this because Extus is both a medium popular commander so far but also just works in the 99 like you don't Exus can be in your black white deck and do work as long as you're, you have a decent combination of spells and creatures and the inventory is not very deep you have something like 40 to 50 listings for most of the good mythics uh foil border for foil borderless dragons or foil extended art mythics from strixhaven and I don't think that they're going, you're going to see major crack jobs uh, for that set uh, from CBs moving forward much. Uh, my guess is that whatever's out there is what's out there, and it's going to start to slowly drain. And the dragons and Liliana are already up closer to 40. So it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that given, say, a year, 12 to 18 months, probably like a longer horizon than I or pushing towards the edges of the horizon I'm usually comfortable with, can easily see Exus doubling 18 to mid-30s to 40.
1: Yeah, Exus is... um, I mean, 18 for the Extended Art Foils is not bad for a card that's clearly playable. Um, I'm... I don't think he's going to hold popularity as a commander for the most part. Um, I think he'll probably drop off a bit. Being useful in the core of the deck, in the core of any decks, uh, is certainly more appealing. Um, gives him a lot more legs than some of these other legendary creatures that only work as a commander. Uh, the The shell inventory already is is. Possibly the most appealing part here. You know, we're only a handful of weeks out from my Corey, uh, Strixhaven. So to be getting low, lowish already shows that there just didn't, weren't that many copies on the mark to begin with. And, you know, you're going to have attrition on your side here. So it's the type of card, you know, Strixhaven is, you know, I talked about Strixhaven cards last week or the week before it's probably a good time to be buying Strixhaven because no one's thinking about it. Everyone's thinking about Modern Horizon. So all that inventory is kind of starting to slip and uh, and sneak out the door. So getting in on these that haven cards that aren't like sexy at the moment, but will absolutely see, you know, this sort of slow and steady demand over time puts you in good position to have something that's had a good climb a year
0: later. I should point out that X just because of his backside, he's a dual a double sided card. Uh, includes red so it's actually limited to mardu decks not black white decks that stings a bit yeah yeah i'm sorry i I
1: couldn't i don't remember if you mentioned that or not yes he uh he's mardu makes him a better commander but a worse inclusion
0: yeah well narrow you need to have strong mardu commanders So i mean you still you still have uh not soren edgar markov
1: yeah by worse inclusion i just mean it's a little harder to find places to put him
0: Alright, so your first first selection of the week.
1: <laughs> My picks this week are really funny because I mentioned having looked for a bunch of cards to pick before I checked the list this week. And I pulled up... flipped over this tab and saw the top movers of the week. And I was like, oh, virtually every card I talk about is already on this list. I'm just talking about different versions. But Ancestral Vision, we talked about the non-foils from Time Spiral Remastered, doubled from 5 to 10. Guess what hasn't really moved yet? The foils from uh, IMA and Time Spiral. A small bump on those. I mean, we've gone from like 10 or 11 to about 13 uh, on these right now. I think that there's a lot more room for these to grow. I think any of these decks, whether it's a or dominance, as foretold whatever, um, is going to be... There's going to be renewed interest in those. Whether or not they're good is another question, but people are at least going to try. Um, also, I don't know if you caught this, but moth's will is now legal and modern, and you can cast it for free. So <laughs> decks that get to do that are going to be interested in also playing Ancestral Vision. Um, I can definitely see strategies, whether they're as foretold or some of these other effects that cast spells for free or what have you that kinda work with both. Um, I don't know if this this is gonna be good, but I know people are gonna try. And the foils here are already starting to get a little more shallow. Uh, The ramp on these is pretty steep. So I think getting in on these, any foil on special visions you can find probably under 15 realistically are likely to pay off with price tags in the 25, 30, I mean, maybe even 35 plus dollar range if they turn out to be um, any good.
0: Yeah. I'm just taking a look. I mean, you're already looking at just 14 results on the Mm -hmm. iconic masters foil. So people need to move fast here if they're interested because they are drying up.
1: Yeah. The inventory is, is real shallow. Also, I dislike that you changed my note. My show note was just simply, "Yogmoth's will is legal and modern. And he made it more uh, descriptive. But I thought (laughs) I enjoyed my
0: note. So terrible that I made it more descriptive for the pro traders that have to read it. Listen, uh,
1: how terrible that they have to listen to the podcast. (laughs)
0: uh, Walking Ballista. Aether Revolt. uh, Foils, not non-foil. Once per week, I get the, I put the wrong foiling designation. Uh, zero to six months. Original pack foils currently ran thirty bucks. They're gonna go to sixty probably. This is a twenty thousand plus decks EDH rec plus top thirty modern cards. Gets played in vintage. Uh, it's a cube card. We don't have a super hot premium version of it yet. There is a secret layer that's around the same price, so but I figured that the foiling on that is probably more warpy, so less appealing in constructed circles. Uh, but they are hollowing out as well. Uh, pack foil original walking ballista seems hard to go wrong with on any kind of long enough timeline, because it probably doesn't stop at 60. If it gets there, it probably goes to 100 plus at some point.
1: The Aether Revolt Foil Walking Ballista is pretty short inventory here. Only 17 vendors. um, Steep ramp. Really steep ramp. I mean, there are like two to three play sets below 30. And then you're just off to the races. I see Cafferty's got a German one up.
0: Um, The nice thing here is that if the affinity dream for modern is foolishness, and it's much more of a draft theme than it is tools for a new modern a renewed mar- modern archetype you're still doing just fine like that's that doesn't pump the brakes there's already strong momentum here but if that comes true and one in a red white green like a jet uh naya affinity deck top eights week one and modern then plenty of pressure
1: uh, I, yes, I agree completely that it's the type of card that's in good shape without affinity becoming useful in modern, but it's even better if that if that shakes out, um, and it, like you said, it's the original foil printing, and these are a pretty good shot, and it looks like across the board... The Double Masters ones are, you know, a dollar or two cheaper and a dollar two – one or two more copies. But it's not like there's a significant difference there. So it, it, the Double Masters copies aren't acting as a significant drag. Likewise, the Secret Layers are, are basically the same price too. You know, their cheapest copies, like $29 essentially. And the inventory is a little deeper there. It's like 30 vendors instead of 18 or whatever. Um, but it is – Again, not acting as a drag at all. I can't decide if I like that secret layer art more or not. I don't love Aetherville art, but that secret layer art's just a little flat for me. It's um, fine. It's,
0: it's, it's fine. I if, if it wasn't a secret layer printing, then I'd probably prefer it at the same price. But it's hard to go wrong with original pack foil of something if it doesn't have like, a strong competitor. I would imagine that Walking Ballista Judge Foil has to be on the agenda. And if they give it new art, that could be pretty hot. And that could hit any time in the next three years. There's got to be a a premium version of this card coming. Like, and the next time they print old border foils, Walking Ballista could be a shoe-in.
1: We know that the extended art foils, or, I'm sorry, the original foils will still do fine no matter what. Um... Like that, you know, just just as a rule, of thumb center our, our original foils always seem to do essentially better than than anything else would, just based on them being original. And you know, even if they do a judge promo and give it new art, it's still going to be like a normal looking card. They don't really do a lot in the way of uh, well, judge foils with interesting treatments.
0: Well, they so, they do they do new art a lot with judge foils, but they don't do yes. new borders
1: right which is my point is like the the judge promo of this is unlikely to be anything
0: more than new art however they did just they are giving uh is it prismatic vista or fabled passage has a promo this summer at the lgs level in old border so old border judge foils could be a thing we just haven't seen it yet
1: Yes, it could happen. I'm not saying it won't. I'm operating on the it. Yeah, Fabled Fably... Passage. Was that Fabled Passage is getting the Judge Border? Or the Ol- Old, judge border, promo foil, old yeah. border? No, Old Border uh,
0: Foil. It's not a Judge card. It's just being given out of the LGS level. Which, oh, okay, okay. Which leads me to believe that if they're willing to do Old Border Foils as random promos, then they can be Judge promos too. Yeah, I, and I don't think that There have been zero Judge
1: Promos that use a different frame, but it might be—it's very uncommon. The point being is that a new a Judge Promo Walking bliss is unlikely to be different in anything other than art, which means it wouldn't be a ultra premium version relative to the Cult Kaladesh version. Um, So I don't see that being a significant problem for you either. So as a card that's already quite popular, that may ha- may or may not have some renewed interest, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. That tracks with a lot of the stuff I tend to talk about as well.
0: Alrighty, what's your next one?
1: Uh, another next card. I was kind of surprised to see as cheap as it is, but the Ultimate Master Box Toppers for Vengevine are, foils are only twenty five bucks. Like, I remember when Vengevine was a sixty dollar card. Just normal pack vengevine and that wasn't even that long ago uh this card has has crashed pretty hard but those box hoppers are cool looking they're the most premium version they're probably going to be the most premium version for a little while to come there's only 14 vendors with copies of this and nobody's got no one even has a place at you can buy it at looks like there's one copy at 25 and a couple like 28 but there's not I mean, there's not, there's less than two play that's under thirty on TCG player right now, and you know is this new Rootwalla, uh, what's its name, Blazing Rootwalla, any good? I don't know. Uh, do I think people are gonna try? Yeah. Do I think there's a lot of other graveyard based cards that may get people onto the Vengevine train? Yeah. Uh, so I do not know if it will be good enough. I know that there is a very tight supply on a card that has historically had some pretty good success. This is the best version of it. And for, you know, 25-ish bucks, I am happy to try and play that game and look for an out around $50. And, I mean, if it's good, if a Benjamin deck is suddenly good, pfft, 70 But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being conservative here at, like, a $50 out.
0: How deep is the inventory right now?
1: 14 vendors and not a single person has more than three copies.
0: Yeah. So people have already put some pressure on this.
1: The Well, the price graph on this isn't, isn't much like, it's not like there's a sharp ramp on this. If people bought out copies of this, then they did. So at a price point that didn't impact anything, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Like uh, the, the, the yeah, I, I the, the price has moved so little I really don't think that there's been a, a tremendous amount
0: of pressure on it. Alright, works for me. Uh, let me just check something here on my last selection. I think I'm in the clear. Lurus of the Dream Den extended our non-foil Coria Collector Boosters. 0 to 6 months to go 20 to 40. It's the 12th most played card in modern, and the ramp is getting pretty steep. And the foils, which was a previous call of mine, have already gotten up pushing 100 bucks, so they're a success. The non foils will follow, especially for the people that don't want to foil out their modern deck.
1: Lures of the Dream Den non foil extended arts, 20 bucks.
0: Yeah, it's not bad 40 results left on tcg player relatively moderate ramp heading up to 30 plus but everybody's got onesie twosie couple of threesies nobody's got deep inventory on this and worth noting that you never you almost never need four of these because most of the decks that are running it are just putting one in the board so that's going to could result in a slower drain than I'm anticipating. It's also not a big EDH card because nobody's going to limit their permanence to costing two or less. Uh, I guess that doesn't really matter. Oh, well, That doesn't matter in EDH because you can't have a companion anyway. <laughs> uh, but it's more that nobody's going to build their deck to focus on permanence two or less. Let me see if EDH rec bears that out. How much Lurus gets played so far? I'm imagining it's relatively low uh as a card actually it's in 2800 edh decks so three percent of the black white decks since it came in that's not that terrible yeah you don't have to have like that many cards in your deck to make this an acceptable inclusion it's the kind of thing you can run in something like zombies to to recur or vampires to recur stuff
1: yeah and i like i had a clerics uh, what's his name Sidar Kondo and Timurat build that like probably could play Lurus because it's just not that many. There's a plenty of permanents that costs two or less that this would be fine with. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're probably in good shape here to see this keep creeping up your, your time frame of zero to six months is a touch optimistic for my taste. I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh,
0: I'll switch it to six to twelve in in, in <laughs> honor of his one one offness in the sideboard.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's really the, the the challenge is that you don't see a lot of people people play too many copies typically plus it's not a big EDh card so it's very popular and modern but you know most people going to buy copies probably aren't buying four they might buy two um...
0: As a counterpoint, it shows up in way more archetypes. So there's at least five or six viable archetypes in modern that run Luris. True. And, true. And so, though those players may only buy one copy, there may be four times more players buying it than say something like Death Shadow, where there's only one archetype that runs that card. Like if you're playing Death Shadow, you buy Death Shadows, and otherwise you don't need the card.
1: Uh yes, I, I agree that it you, you get a little more of a broad target with this and anyone plain modern is likely to buy a copy or two eventually just because they might end up on a deck that plays it since it's fairly versatile uh yeah i don't think it's a bad idea i you know your biggest concern here is probably a secret layer of companions that but really that's not going to do anything other than create some drag it's not going to crush the price it's just going to slow the ascent for a little while and, you know, Lurrus is, these companions in general have really proven that they're sticking around modern. So, um, I think it's only a matter of time. The question is really just how much time. Yep, I agree. My, my last card here is not a, is is not a full-throated pick in the way that these typically are. But I put it on here for a discussion point. Because as I was browsing uh, articles by people, you know, respected professionals, putting together lists for Modern Horizons 2, one of the cards that came up over and over again was Season Pyromancer. And I know that um, you, you guys have chatted about it in the Discord a bit some, so it's not like this is new territory for you or for some of our listeners. But for some people out there, they might not have thought about it quite as much, but it's showing up in a lot of these lists people talk about. We've got a lot of graveyard shenanigans that this plays well in, as well as like Imperial Recruiter, which is is incentivizing decks that you might see Season Pyromancer in. Um, it was not reprinted in Modern Horizons 2. So the MH1 copies are the only ones available. The non-foils are 35 bucks right now. They are not cheap, but If this is a like three to four of heavy staple, like even like moderate staple in modern, and the only copies are from the first Modern Horizons, do these non foils hit seventy bucks? I mean, you'll pay thirty six to honestly, it's you're actually paying thirty seven for the absolute cheapest copy on TCG Player, but there's like I don't know three four play sets, and then you're at forty five. And I mean, if suddenly this deck sees a, this card sees a significant uptick with no reprints, there have been plenty of cards in modern that have cost seventy or eighty dollars before. I don't know. I I'm not. I don't. I don't know how to feel about it. What do you think?
0: Well, I mean, the bo- major boeing impact here is that it's not one of the MH1 reprints that is in MH2. Yeah. Also worth reminding everybody cuz nobody has this nailed yet that the MH1 reprints and MH2 are only in the collector boosters and they're only foils. So even uh, we, we now know what the 5 are 5 mythics are that are getting reprinted. It's Urza, the 2 swords um Ranger Ranger, Ranger Captain and oh, the First Sliver. So mm-hmm. Season Prime Answer is not included. There are no copies of that being printed anytime soon. It won't be in the D&D set. It's almost certainly not being printed into standard, I would imagine. Not impossible for that card, but probably not in Innistrad. And you will certainly see it as an Old Border Foil, probably somewhere down the road. Um, It could be as early as Q1 2022, I'd imagine. But I'm just not sure what archetype provides the pressure here, because it's not, not a card that I see people excited about in relation to thing new new toys that have just been dropped into our lap from MH2. I
1: well, so this is what's interesting is when you have a, a set like Modern Horizons that comes along and dumps a lot of cards into a format, or you know we've seen it with mo- with three you know all three Modern Masters and now Modern Horizons are definitely the biggest ones that this has occurred with. Um, is le- you know sort of level one is what works with these. So you see the new free spells, and everyone goes and gets as foretold in electric electro dominance, right? Those are the obvious targets. You don't know if they're good, but you know that's what what could matter. But level two is the like okay, but if they're not playing this, like if they're playing this, what else are they playing, right? What are the other cards in this deck beyond just the two super obvious ones? And that's where the season Pyromancer came in is I see a lot of people using it to fill out the deck list that they're proposing. So I don't think that there's any particular archetype that like suddenly has appeared or gotten way stronger this season Pyromancer. The part of it just seems like a lot of people are going to the drawing board and they keep bringing Pyromancer in. So like maybe this card is just going to be like a also there. In all of these art types and that type of thing could definitely put some pressure on the card, even if the deck's not about him, because now it turns out, you know, two out of every 10 people building a new deck
0: needs a copy or two or three or four. I would say that the foils have already pushed up over 100. Yeah, the non foils. I, I, I think just they need a spark to light that fire there's going to be some pressure over the next few days just on the a hey, it wasn't reprinted um tip but that's probably wrong-headed anyway because again they, they only would have been foils so the real question here is is somebody going to run this as a four of based on new tools um and it just feels like the themes of the existing set move in a different direction however there are some cards that were offered up on the madness side of things and Pyromancer does play well with madness cards
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah I, i I, you're right yeah and i mean it's also going to be good you know they gave us a lot of new graveyard strategies right they clearly have tried to make that a component so those decks that want to move things into their graveyard pyromancer might be a part there um he may be useful like i said in the imperial recruiter deck since he helps you search for stuff um the uh oh, I just had something else in mind too, where he's useful, and now I can't think of it. Damn it! There was something else that they showed too that like he kind of worked with, and that's kind of my point.
0: There's the guy that, uh, the red creature that swings for three. It was revealed in the last couple of days. Who was that? Uh, let me find it. Bloodbraid Marauder. Uh, one in a red three one can't block spell has cascade uh, i guess that doesn't really do anything uh, you got
1: madness you got reanimator
0: but the there was the legendary that had madness that was revealed a little earlier let me find that one
1: Mm-mm-mm. imperial recruiter build ah oh, i'm so annoyed that i can't i had it and then we were talking about something else and i lost it but you, you know, you, you get the idea here that it's 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 I guess more versatile than it may appear at first glance. I mean, we got Karmic Guide too, right? Like, which is pushing two people to play those graveyard decks.
0: Uh, here, I I know which one it is. It's the crazy named one. The oh, or blah 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 blah. Yeah, Asmor. Three three. As long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay black or red to cast the spell. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook. Sacrifice two foods, target creature deals six damage to itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, still just a modern uh, madness card.
0: Yeah, so Madness 3-3. Three, three. So I like, I don't know if there's a madness deck that that's going to come together here. I didn't see enough oh. pieces of the puzzle to make me too excited about it.
1: We got Ignoble Hierarch 2. True. So now yep. you can turn to seasoned Pyromancer way easier than you could have before. Yep, that's true. Um and I think that's I think Ignoble Hierarch is gonna move more decks that might have not been red into red, which they might also play Pyromancer. I, I I'm not like trying to make the pitch for it. I'm just kinda like discussing my thought process. So th- this is yeah. more question mark Yes. What do, what do we
0: need to know about this?
1: Yeah, which is why I had the question mark in the title. I, I think it's a, wor-
0: a worthy question, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. So I, you know i'm gonna walk away with this saying i don't have a sense i have a sense that we're going to see more Pyromancer than we have been i think you could see the prices on these non-foils move up towards 16 70 dollars but i don't know for sure that that's going to happen we kind of need to see how these decks play out but it, i would be keeping an eye on these lists as people start to put them forward and seeing how much you see this because this is a, a utility card that can do a lot of work in a
0: lot of builds okay uh, for our Pro Trader selection of the week, we've got Entropy in the Pro Trader Discord offering up Reflecting Pool. Um, his, his notes were not uh, as fine-tuned as we normally require, but looking at where this is available in Europe, you can get these for 25. Uh, whereas on TCG Player, they're already closer to 40. So calling this an arbitrage play to get these 25 to 30 in Europe and looking to exit at 50 plus. Uh, back home seems very reasonable given that if I'm looking at the judge foils for reflecting pool on TCG player, you've got 18 results. Nobody's got more than five copies. Ramp's relatively steep up towards 50. And again, this is in 30,000 plus EDH rectex. I mean, this just makes any color of mana because it makes whatever your opponents have on the table, which is typically going to be all five colors in a lot of situations.
1: Well, if the judge promos in Europe are $25 and it's 35 40 here, you're already in good shape and it's obviously very popular. You know, 35,000 EDH decks. I put that in all of my three color EDHRX, EDH decks. Um, you're, it's we're, You're already ahead of the game just buying it today and it's not unlikely to get worse.
0: Judge foils have made me a lot of money. Let's put it that way. They just tend to get there. Yeah. Like Ristic study judge foils. People were like they're everywhere. You can get them on every street corner. Except now they're going to be $200 plus cards. <laughs> and eventually they're going to be like a masterpiece silver. Cuz Ristic study is an Uber S tier S sta- tier staple in EDH. <laughs> uh yeah,
1: I mean, the, you know, the the judge promo Reflecting pool isn't this the same art? Nope. Uh, oh, this is the one that's different. Yep. Okay. Because I thought there was another promo that used.
0: There are. My there's the original Tempest art, and Tempest did not have foils. there no, it was reprinted I, in Shadowmoor, which has, I think, the best art. But Shadowmoor foils are pretty pricey, I'd imagine, because they are. Yeah, there's one copy listed on TCG Player at a hundred dollars, and honestly, that's probably a buy. Because. Because, <laughs> where where is that going to get repl- replenished from?
1: Yeah, it was uh, Command Tower, I think is what I was thinking of. The Judge promo was the same art. Um, but yeah, the reflecting pools, that seems pretty solid for the Judge promos. I have a Shadow foil reflecting pool, actually, and uh, I don't know if you caught it. It has a planes watermark on it. Does it? Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, I would, it was a misprint, but I think every version that left... The st- the the factory came away with that. I'm pretty sure, but I don't know for I don't know completely. But I think every single foil reflecting pool from Shadowmoor has a Plains watermark.
0: They will for sure give us another premium version this at some point, but Shadowmoor foils are available in Europe under hundred, in the fifty to seventy five range. Those are a buy. Just found a Japanese foil for about 55 that I threw into my cart. These seem real solid because it's just, (laughs) it's a rainbow land with no downside. So pretty easy to play it in a lot of decks.
1: Yeah. It's popular for a reason and it's hard to argue with something that's already well positioned.
0: And I could have sworn that one of us had called this sometime recently. Like it seems like the judge foil would have been on our radar, but I didn't see it in our year five wrap up, uh, when i tried to browse through so apologies if it came up in the last 12 months but it doesn't i don't think it changes the 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 metrics here this is still a card worth looking at
1: yeah still looks solid
0: all right let's dive into the rest of the modern horizons 2 stuff have you uh picked out a binder to hold your favorite sketch cards yet
1: oh baby i saw people on twitter talk a couple people on twitter talking about how much they like them and i was like uh
0: can you say that
1: have you Here, seen these cards here's
0: the problem it's exactly what i said last week from an art director's perspective which is that the artists where they tend to have as part of their process great sc- sketches on hand because like for instance seb mckinnon his sketch version of the his swamp art that he did for his kickstarter play Matt, was interesting because it was still quite fantastic but he hadn't filled in all of the detail and so you can kind of see This is the underlying structure that he builds up upon. And if you're an art nerd, you can get something out of that. But not all of these artists, A, have great line work, and B, include sketches as part of their process. So, And especially for like artists that, for instance, might work mostly digitally, their version of sketching would just be a completely different animal. So the thing about these sketch cards is some of them look pretty cool. Others look incredibly bad. And we, as we discussed last week, the frames are so misbegotten. Like the, the entire premise that the frame also has to look like it was sketched is just silly and, and didn't didn't work out well.
1: Yeah, I I I think the idea was good. I think the execution was very bad. There might be I have not looked at every single sketch card like I didn't go out of my way to examine them some of them might be fine, one or two of them, but for the most part, I mean, the thing is, is even if you get a good piece of art look, that looks good in the sketch, the frame is still bad. Um, So that's where I come down on this, but I'm sure the pro traders are,
0: don't need to listen to us complain about the sketch cards for a third week in a row. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I mentioned in the Discord today. The bulk for Modern Horizons 2 in the long term is going to be gold mine level
1: oh geez
0: there are yeah. so many good comments and uncommons that are going to be basically worthless up front because the evs draining in other directions and then down the road you're going to have all the stuff that you could have gotten bricks of from the gaming company for like eight cents a piece that's going to buy this for a dollar 20 or three dollars uh-huh. or whatever like in for some examples tavern scoundrel one in a red one three human rogue whenever you win a coin flip create two treasure tokens One tap sack, another permanent flip coin. So you've got sack for value engine built in. You've got coin flip for value. If you're playing the guy who flips five five coins every turn, obviously you want this. this. If you win all five, you get 10 treasure tokens
1: yeah i mean like it doesn't even matter like if you win any you're already <laughs> you're at two you're here.
0: at two to four lotus petals per turn like it just
1: seems like every, you know we see these coin flip decks do well every time or like every time coin flip stuff comes up more coin flip cards move and you will never build a coin flip deck that doesn't involve this guy
0: because the theme is so narrow and specific it's it's similar to uh, Jason's going to be talking about the the third most reported commander because they've already got MH two stats uh, up on EDH REC. and the three commanders the top five commanders so far are Chatterfang Yurs- Yusri, Lonus Cryptozoologist Garth One Eye and Thrasta well Garth as I talked about last week really makes you want to look at disenchant Brain Geyser Terror Shivan Dragon Regrowth and Lotus because that's the, the only shit that the only reason to play Garth in the first place is that you want to cast those a bunch of times. Lonus makes you look at investigate stuff. So I almost called Tamio's journal foils, but the inventory was already pretty drained out because the Tamio's journal is a weird card. They put multiple copies of it in that set. I think it was shadows over Innistrad. There's multiple variants that have different flavor text with different clues about the narrative of that set. Mm-hmm. But I think only one of the versions has a foil. So just to find the foils, you have to click through to four or five different versions of the card just to find, and then click the foil box to find the foil version. <laughs> like you literally have to investigate to find the investigate card. It couldn't be <laughs> any more meta. And if you're playing Lonus Cryptozoologist, you're for sure going to put a copy of that into your deck, right? It's that kind of narrow, and use-free with the coin flipping is the same deal. So, like, what's a tavern scoundrel gonna buy this for in five years? Probably a lot more percentage-wise than you can brick them for this summer.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like I should be on the lookout for these as we move forward.
0: You got Break the Ice that was revealed today, Sorcery for 2 Black, which is basically giving Sinkhole back to Modern. destroy Destroy target land that is snow or could produce colorless ways
1: so the thing is is there are a lot of decks that don't run a card a land that this would impact
0: there are but there's a lot of decks that do
1: yeah so yes it's it's not as broad
0: as sinkhole but but in in edh this gets rid of a lot of utility lands that True. make colorless as their downside. And that becomes a liability facing this thing. And then it's overload is like, how many friends do you actually want to have at the end of your commander game? Because you can destroy all the lands at the table to do that. I I, I mean, black,
1: like in EDH, you're not hurting for land destruction if that's what you want to do. Like, P, I don't, mass I don't think mass, that... mass
0: land destruction in black
1: yeah but i mean like yes there's probably not a lot of it but i don't think there's a lot of people that are going to flock to play that either i mean like armageddon's not a terribly popular card in edh
0: i'm not arguing it should be it's a bad play pattern all i'm saying is this is the kind of like being able to destroy lands for two black will appeal and having the overload as upside will appeal to a broad enough swath that if it ends up being a factor in modern this is the kind of thing that could be buy listable that'll be real cheap up front
1: i i my my position is going to be uh it will not be good enough in either format to be
0: particularly
1: important that's Uh, where i'm
0: gonna go with it here's my worst name of the day ornithopter of paradise
1: Mm, it's a
0: ornithopter for two instead of zero that taps for one man of any color This is just way too cute. You know that it started in the file as Ornithopter of Paradise and then somebody was like, no, 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 we got to name that properly. And they're like, no, no, it's really good. Just leave it just like that. No, it's it's not really good and you should not have left it just like that. Because what about the Ornithopter is, like, Birds of Paradise makes sense (laughs) because it's a name given to very colorful birds that live in a jungle. The jungle is the paradise. Is the Ornithopter living in the jungle? Is it very colorful?
1: Yeah, it's. I don't get it. Like, I I agree with you that I saw that card so and I lazy. was like, yeah, yeah. It's it's not clever. It's not a pun. You just
0: added a suffix because you didn't have to. It, it's almost insulting because you you didn't have to hit us over the head quite so hard. If you had named it sub like a little bit more subtle, um, then we still would have got it. Like, you could have just called it, like, Parathopter or something, and we yeah. would have got it. Yeah. Um, but again, this yeah. is that that's a colorless Thopter that taps for mana. I mean, it's instant draft classic. And is it going to be the kind of thing people will buy from a store for 25 cents that you can snap off at 10? Probably.
1: Yeah, I haven't decided if I like... Yeah, I mean, it'll be good as bulk. I think beyond that, I'm not sold on...
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm just looking through here. There are are so many commons and uncommons in here that are going to be worth money. One of the reasons, of course, is that the price point of this set is not the price point of a standard set. It's in the mid 200s for these boxes. So, you know, say that a good price on these boxes is close to 200 as opposed to a standard set. The base cost price of these cards is twice as high. So they will necessarily hold up better over time for as long as they resist a reprint at a cheaper price point. So when some of these show up in commander decks or uh, other ancillary products that pulls the rug out from under you and some of that stuff will just be stilted and have hundreds and hundreds of copies listed on TCG player for years, but others will not be in that situation and they will be gainers.
1: It does seem like you could try and uh, diversify here and probably come out ahead just by picking, you know, seven or eight commons or uncommons and buying a good chunk of them because the the couple that you miss on will be fine cuz they will probably still gain a little bit even if it's not even even if it mostly stays flat. You won't be out out entirely, but you'll hit a couple that will work very well for you.
0: All right, let's let's talk about the most busted card I think I've seen in the last few days. Doffy Voidwalker. Mm. this is like wizards was like okay what's the most pushed constructed creature we're willing to print in this set black black shadow and for those of you that didn't play magic 20 years ago this thing can't be blocked and can't block so have fun (laughs) you got to kill it or it's going to keep hitting you upside the head if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere instead exile it with a void counter on it Tap, sacrifice Dothy Voidwalker. Choose any exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You can play play it this turn without paying its mana cost. Did it need the without paying its mana cost clause? That's like it, that's like you you hit that you discard. You're playing this in a mono black deck in modern, so you're discarding with Thoughtseize on one. You're dropping a Voidwalker on two, and you thought you hit them with another discard spell. On three. and But it's if, if a card comes from anywhere... So they could discard it themselves. You could make them discard it. They could just cast it and it ends up in their yard. And then you can just trade in the Voidwalker... To cast that thing. And it could be anything. Sometimes it could basically meet, do do nothing for you. Sometimes it could draw you cards. Or cast a Lightning Bolt. Or cast a, cast a Path to Exile. Or cast their thoughts when you really need to... Not, Knock something out of their hand. And the other thing about this is that the Void Walker putting Void Counters on means that if they manage to kill the Void Walker uh, before you get a chance to use it, like say you were attacking with it, so you can't also have tapped it that turn, then they bolt your first Void Walker. When, if you put play a second Void Walker, it still sees all the previously uh, exiled cards that have the Void Counters on them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I caught that, which is. Which is
0: tasty too. And, this card is Well just final point. It's also just incidental graveyard hate, because none of the stuff's going to the graveyard. Well, it's <laughs> this
1: is not it is not incidental. Like that is why they made this card. Like
0: But often, gra- but often with graveyard hate, most of the graveyard hate in modern, like say a rest in peace or whatever, is a dedicated slot to hate the graveyard. It does nothing else to advance your game plan whatsoever. This thing is an aggro card that incidentally prevents the graveyard from being functional. Like dredge just can't do anything while this is in play. They have to kill it first.
1: Yeah. And I think that was the point. I think that they looked at modern and said, well, we don't have a lot, like all of the hate cards for like dredge. Uh, you have something like Leyline line of the void, which is, uh, wildly expensive. Uh, and one of the best choices for dealing with dredge because it's so fast. um, but it's obnoxious because it's literally all the card does. Like that's you put four in your sideboard, so you don't lose to drudge. You never play it for mo- you don't play it for most other decks, and you're annoyed you have to play it, but you do. Uh, but this gives some decks a little more flexibility and being able to do something while not having to play such a a binary option. And you see it in the Tron hate pieces too. The Tron hate pieces are a little more a little more versatile and a little more playable than you know hate cards have been in the past. Uh, So I think that that's a a very intentional piece of text on the card, I would say. Um, This is interesting because they easily could have printed this card with the second two clauses the same. Removed shadow and made it a 1-2 or an 0-2. And it would still look good. Because it's the type of card that you're like, I'm going to play this basically as a hate bear. And I'm gonna let it hang out on the board. while I mill? You know, I try and mill cards from you incidentally or, or intentionally, you know, purposefully. And then I'm gonna steal something good with it later. And the, you still get that play pattern, but you also get to attack with it. But because it's unblockable, uh, which is pretty gross too. I guess giving it shadow is like, oh, I, I I'm not gonna let you make this an O2. That just you know, maybe blocks a, a one power creature once or twice. And then later on gets in the way of a big monastery swift spear. And then you sack it after blockers are declared to cast their stupid card. Um, I, o- overall, I agree. The card is quite potent. I'm just kind of observing the design here. Uh, I haven't decided if I think this is good or busted yet. Yeah. I don't think it's Hogak.
0: No, I, I, I think it's more like Snapcaster Mage. Like it's an extremely good creature that could be around for a while and might find multiple homes and might fade in and out of the meta. The because I'm actually curious whether Jund runs this because they've got Ignoble Hierarch now, so they can go Overgrown Tomb Hierarch turn to this.
1: I mean, they could do that anyways.
0: But it just it gives them a more ste- like a, uh, a steadier uh, path to two black. Because the higher manufactures the second black no matter what the second oh, second Oh, I see band. what you're
1: saying. It's not about the extra bond, it's about the fixing.
0: Yeah, it's not that it's well, I mean, it's it also allows them to drop this and thoughtsies on that turn.
1: Uh yeah. <laughs> um So
0: So that's The thing. exalted
1: triggers are actually disgusting with shadow creatures too.
0: <laughs> well exactly worth
1: worth pointing out uh that that's a significant piece of text interaction and, there and, and
0: they also gave us another a mythic that might play in a more mono black flavored deck turok dread cantor is one and black for two one pro white so you can't path it whenever an opponent discards a card put a plus one plus one counter on turok whenever turok enters the battlefield if it was kicked which costs two blacks so four total target opponent discards two cards at random so he gets bigger when you're thought-seizing and so forth. There's also We also actually have a him in Modern that only sucks if they discard an artifact, right?
1: Uh, From Mirrodin Block. Let's see. There is... Mm... It's not by the name of him.
0: No, it's not, but it's... Uh, uh...
1: Oh, I know what you're thinking of. Is it... Three mana, they discard no, two cards unless they discard an
0: artifact. Yeah, but it's two mana. It's not three.
1: Oh, is it two? I don't remember the name of it. Turok, first of all, assuming we're pronouncing that correctly, which I believe we are. Yep. Then I damn well better see a clue. art alter of Turok the Dinosaur Hunter. <laughs> um. This guy's solid. You. He- you know, you play them as a 2-mana two 2-1 two pro-white, which is eh, fine-ish. You clearly have to have several discard tools in your deck. So, I mean, just as like a generic 2-mana two 2-1 two pro-white, that's behind the curve, right? Like, we can agree that 2-mana two 2-1 two pro-white is way behind the curve. The discard a card clause is fine-ish. Like even if this was a if this just came in as a straight three two pro white for two it's still probably behind the curve. Um, the kicker really has to be worth its weight on this one, but a four mana, three two where you him them as well that's a lot more playable, and again you do have noble Hy- noble hierarchy to play this on turn three.
0: So I, yeah, this is
1: decent. I, I, just, I see the card you got here, Wrench Mind.
0: Yeah, two black sorcery. Target player discards two cards from their hand unless he or she discards an artifact card from his or her hand. Yeah. So, <laughs> I have no idea if all of that comes together into something that makes any sense, but <laughs> they certainly want people to be trying. That's obvious.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can turn... You turn one tur you turn one Hierarch, turn two Drudkantor, or turn maybe like turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Turok, turn three. Well, no, turn turn two
0: if you Hierarch first, then you get to Turok and Thoughtseize.
1: Well, you're supposed to Thoughtseize first just to make sure they don't have anything in response. It's slower, but it it gives you the security. But it, it doesn't really matter. You turn two Turok and then you turn three Wrench Mind. They probably discard two. He's now a four, three. And then maybe or maybe not, you have the exalted trigger. Either way, you get to attack for a bunch on turn three. And he's annoying to block and remove because he's pro path and solitude. Uh, right. Is that that card? The The incantation solitude.
0: He's decent. Well, he's decent. And, and they've also revealed grief, right? That was the, yeah. the thing last week. So that's the three, two menace for two and two black. But you can evoke it by exiling a black card from your hand. So you can play grief as a three, two menace creature already has high evasion. It is pretty close to shadow really because any deck that's got enough creatures on the board to block wants to be attacking with them. They don't want to be hanging back to, to block your action. If you, if you're forcing an aggro deck to block, you're already winning. So between grief and Turok and this shadow creature thoughts eases and whatever other discard and kill spells make sense there's got to be something going on there and then if you put a dash of white in you could use ephemerate to be flickering you, this stuff in and out
1: well you can't i mean first of all you can't flicker to rock but you it wouldn't even be worth it if you could um why can't yes yeah,
0: why can't you flicker Turok?
1: he's pro-white
0: uh, ephemerate targets.
1: I presume as much. Without having, I I ref, I haven't actually read that card apparently. Uh, but I, no, you're right.
0: Exile target creature you control. Yeah, can't can't yeah. can't exile Turok. Good point.
1: Yeah, but and I, it's funny because I just commented earlier today that like people were talking about the grief ephemerate combo, which is um, just to reiterate: you exile a card, you grief, you put grief in the play, you put the evoke trigger on the stack, you take a card out of their hand, then you uh, ephemerate it. It comes back into play. You get another grief trigger. You get to keep it because you let, you know, you, you sequence it so that you don't have to sacrifice it to the uh, evoke trigger. And then, and this is the part that I didn't realize is ephemerate has rebound on it. So you get yep. to flicker yep. again your next turn, which, truth be told, is actually a three for three because you have, it's, or like a, like a, maybe like a four for, th- two for three because like you are down the card you exiled and you put grief in the play and you played ephemerate. So it's not like you did nothing and your opponent lost three cards. So you're down. You are down two cards. Essentially you have a grief in play and you're down two cards and your opponent's down three cards. So like you're still ahead, but it's not
0: like as crazy as it sounds at first blush. The thing though, Um, the thing though is grief is a hand shredder in that situation because you, it's not just they discard a card. It's you choose.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so you, you, you don't take lose, the card and, that matters, and you
0: don't lose the two life that you do from a Thoughtseize. So it's actually when it when it's functional, it's better than a Thoughtseize, especially in a format where you end up chewing up half your life total just with your Shocklands and Fetchlands.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's better is tough. It can be because you, you know you save two life, but you lost a card. Is two life lost? Is, is two life worth a card? I mean, typically you would pay the two life for a card. Right, like generally
0: uh so but it's not unique. Need... It's it's not a crazy play pattern in some kind of eight rack style build because you can like this thing with grief and ephemerate is real easy grief in your hand yes. plus ephemerate yeah. plus any black white land plus any black card sets up that plat- pattern that's pretty yeah. simple
1: yes i agree I agree completely. The, it will not be a question of how hard it is to pull off. It'll be a question of is is it good enough even when you do. Yeah. Um, that's the question there, and I don't know the answer to that, uh, but it certainly seems like it could be.
0: So some some other notables <clears throat> that were...
1: oh that, don't forget that that gets probably gets uh, braids too, if it if it really wants. Oh yeah, it. That,
0: that's true. They printed braids. <laughs> printed braids <laughs> in the modern. They also gave yeah. us Magus of the Bridge, which is a similar kind of thing, uh, throwback to Bridge uh, from below, which of course was a big part of why the Hogak builds were broken. And I think Bridge got banned, right? They, they banned uh, Bridge first and then Hogak uh, later or something like
1: that? Yes, Bridge is
0: banned. So Magus of the Bridge, 3 black for a 4-4 four, four human wizard. Uh, whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you get a 2-2 black zombie. Whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, exile Magus of the Bridge.
1: Magus of the Bridge is interesting. And it's it's different than a lot of the other bridge incarnations of these famous spells. Because Bridge from Below was such a, a specific card in such a specific play pattern. And Magus of the Bridge gives you a lot of power. But it's a, it's going to give it to you in a very different way than the original card did. You know, Magus of the Wheel, which was Wheel of Fortune, was just Wheel of Fortune on a creature. Like, it didn't really, it didn't really matter. If, the way that you use Wheel, it doesn't matter if you're casting as a sorcery or using it as an activated ability on a creature. It's sort of a wash. Magus of the Bridge, however, changes the way that you kind of build your deck. Um, but it is interesting that it it rewards you for this effect uh, and can allow you to make a pretty good zombie army and a deck that looks nothing like, or very unlike a deck that would have played bridge from below. It's, it's, it's curious. I'm just, I'm wondering what the shells are going to look like to try and make use of this card because it's, it's different enough.
0: I'm having trouble picturing this as more than a trap in modern because it's so easy. First of all, there's a lot of creatures in modern and it's very easy for opponents to kill their own creatures if they need to get rid of this thing. Um, It is a 4-4 for 3, which is unusual in black. It is a human and a wizard. So there might be something there. In EDH, this feels to me like you you need to treat it more like a sorcery than a creature. Where you've got everything set up to do some kind of aristocrat style nonsense where you're going to sack a whole bunch of stuff. And you drop the magus so that you get zombie rewarded for all that. Which you were, and presumably you were already sacking for value. Now, if you have things like Mothra in play, then your creatures that you sack come back as themselves, but they're flying. If you have the finale card from uh, Strixhaven, you get 2-1 Inkling flyers for everything you sack. There's a bunch of stuff that can be done in black-white. Yeah, yeah, there's some options. And the thing is,
1: even if, if you put this in the play and you fire off, fired off for a a turn like you play this you do a bunch of stuff on the rest of your turn and pass and then they manage to kill one of their own creatures like it still might have done something now they they did
0: reveal the red evoke creature it's a three three double striker for five called fury and when it enters the battlefield it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers and people seem pretty down on this but I'm not so sure. Four damage divided is pretty interesting, but it doesn't have flash, so you can't do it at instant speed on their turn.
1: Yeah. Well, the problem with Fury is sometimes this card will be bonkers, and you will like five for one people, and other times you're just going to go four to the face because it's your best bet. And also, well, like,
0: you can't go to the face. That's one of the things.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, target creatures or planeswalkers. Yeah. Sometimes it will be like pointless. Like it just won't you might get a removal spell out of it. I I don't know. I you know, it might it's probably better than people might think it is, but it's still not not as exciting as the other ones, I should I think.
0: Not ringing my bell. Here here's a yeah. here's an odd reprint. We're getting the Modern Horizon 1 cards, but not all of them, just a subset of them reprinted as old border foils and old border foil fetches well one of the cards we thought was safe was goblin engineer why was it safe because we just got it in time Spy remastered's time shifted sheet so we figured that Yogmoth and goblin engineer and anything else that was on there certainly couldn't be here and yet here it is why did wizards think they needed to re reprint goblin engineer of all things back to back as an old border foil i have no idea i
1: i think this was um missed uh miscommunication possibly i don't i don't think this is intentional um okay, okay i do have a question the oh i thought that the only cards that were showing up in old border were the modern horizons one reprints no is that not true
0: no not true what what else is in old border a bunch of other stuff is it just random cards that like, are old like orders? for instance, the biggest thing in the whole set, of course, is the Fetchlands, right? And they're not from Modern Horizons one. And well, the, and they're and the, and the, okay. the old border,
1: giving them a pass as being like the the exception to the rule. But I, what else? What else? I guess is it just a a specific selection of Modern Horizons two cards are putting in old border as well? Is that uh, what it is? Yeah, let me
0: just try and do the stats because I have it handy here somewhere.
1: Because i i saw I saw Glimmer Baron. And I'm like, I don't remember this card from Modern Horizons 1, but I also, like, it's a common in Old Border? Like, what is going on here? Like, what is this card? As far as as,
0: as 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 rares and mythics go from MH2, 31 foil-etched retro-frame rares and 7 mythic rares from the main set.
1: Uh, But what about commons and uncommons? A higher number. Higher number. But it's not all of them. yeah, I guess it makes sense. It just caught me off guard because I felt like I guess the I saw other ones and I they sort of it, just didn't register. And then I saw that card and it clicked, and I was like, "What the hell am I looking at?"
0: It's thirteen commons and ten uncommons from the main set. Okay. And you're gonna but get I, a shit ton of those, boy, because they have a dedicated slot in the CVs. So any oh, of that, any of that stuff is just gonna be everywhere. Really? The, yeah. there's gonna, the gonna be way too many of that.
1: I don't know if you looked at the sketch art for Magus of the Bridge, but I think it's literally the same art. (laughs) Like, I I, I think it is actually the same art, just with a sketch frame. The card is so
0: ugly. Um, There was a blue card that I flagged in the ProTrader Discord earlier today, where I'm pretty sure it's the worst of all the sketches. It literally looks just like, it's a scribble. Like, it's a scribble that took... The the artist didn't take the process seriously and just was like, yeah, alright, whatever. Sketch card. Here it is.
1: I, I like that more than I like the literal same art from the non-sketch card. <laughs> Without even seeing it, I think I like that more. Uh at least at least it's on
0: theme. Um here, here's, here's, the, here's a card. Tireless Provisioner. Two in a green, three, two, elf scout. Landfall. Whenever Maybe Eternal Witness? Whenever no. no. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token or a treasure oh. token. That guy. So you've basically got Tireless Tracker, but it tra- creates food tokens or treasure tokens in- instead of clue tokens. Your choice. This card is an instant EDH staple.
1: Yes. Yeah, people will certainly be making... Plenty of treasure tokens with Tarless Provisioner,
0: and food tokens, and leveraging food stuff. And the thing about all this is, as we've been t- we've been talking about treasure for a while, and the point I've been making is that food, treasure, and investigate are only going to get deeper and deeper pools of cards as time goes on. Like with um, with Innistrad in the fall, two Innistrad sets back to back. That's where the investigate the clue tokens came from. They could easily go back to those. Like this could all be a setup for even more clue token nonsense in the fall.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And then and that uh, that that artifact creature that yes gives you all three tokens whenever you make one <laughs> is very interesting. Yes. We talked about um, that last week,
0: and and this played right like leans right into that, right?
1: Yeah, and I like I can't imagine he's actually good, but he sure is fun to look at.
0: Well, and and, and you've got to consider that, again, if Lonus Cryptozoologist is one of the top three commanders out of this set, whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. So you get a clue token whenever uh, a creature comes into play that's not a token. And then you sack clues to look at the top cards of an opponent's library and you get to put a permanent into play. So... That deck's just gonna want to make all sorts of investigate tokens and duplicate those tokens and multiply those tokens and use them for value. And yeah. All of this stuff is gonna end up in there. Like you're have
1: for t- what it's worth. Uh, sorry, for what it's worth, I'm unsure if I like Tireless Provisioner more than Tireless Tracker in competitive formats. Tr- the food tokens I think are a distant third. The treasure tokens are very good, but if you're putting lands into play, you might want Tireless Tracker more because it grows and also draws you cards. And you might not need the treasure tokens as badly as you need either of those
0: other two things. I can't see Provisioner in Modern. That didn't even occur to me. I was just thinking about it as an EDH Just EDH? Yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting in Modern. I just think it's because
0: Tireless Tracker is competent. Back to the bulk discussion, Power Depot is revealed as an uncommon. It's an artifact land, comes into play tapped, which is true of all the artifact lands they gave us in this set. Taps for colorless, taps for one mana of any color if you're casting artifact spells or activating abilities of artifacts. And it has modular one. So coming Mm. into play tapped is obviously not great. But the thing about those decks is because they operate on one or two mana, the artifact lands that come into play tapped in their deck, they can use them as sorceries. They're basically not, they don't need more mana at a certain point. They they can drop a couple of things quick to get their stuff into play, and then they can start delaying the lands to get just get lands into play that can be sacked as artifacts. Because this Power Depot, you can drop it and tapped and then set off a modular chain by sacking it to a Ravager or and getting it onto Ballista or something. And because mm-hmm. it's got modular, it gets, it puts a plus 1 plus 1 counter, and if you already had a hardened scales in play, then sacking this land puts plus 2 plus 2 on something.
1: It is a silly card as far as like uncommon power level goes. Um I I'm not going to claim to know enough about artifact-based strategies in modern to know whether it will be good enough, but it's clearly going to be popular in all sorts of places and I would agree in the the brick concept
0: they revealed that we're getting titania protector of argoth back as a mythic here which was a commander printed card only uh, three double green five three legendary creature elemental uh, when titania enters the battlefield return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield whenever a land you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield create a five three green elemental creature token so I can't remember if we had seen this last week or not, but they revealed the uh, sexy borderless art for it today, and it is excellent, excellent art.
1: We we had not seen Titania at all because we talked about Zern Orb, and I was like, Zern Orb is a powerful card. It's a free artifact with a free activated ability that has a relevant piece of text on it, and uh, I was like, I don't know what's gonna where it's gonna matter, but it could and then like two days later they're like hey look titania you play this on turn five get a fetch land back uh and then at the end of your opponent's turn you sack all six of your lands and dare them to survive your you just go all in right you just eat all my lands swing for
0: 35 see if this is good enough yeah that is one way to go so i don't know whether it's going to be a you know Titania will sh- actually show up in modern outside the fringes but just having a reprint borderless foil to chase after as a spec is is good enough for me um we've... yeah but the that, that the got old border and the borderless are both very good Riptide Laboratory catching a reprint first time in modern uh, I have foils those sitting around as prior specs for some other wizard nonsense maybe it was yeah, Do- it was a uh... dominaria or something
1: yeah, it was a wizard theme at one point. Wasn't that an EDH deck, like one of the precons or something?
0: It was, but Dominaria, I think, was when I bought bought my Riptide Laboratories when you bought them because they're you're, you're we knew we were we were getting a bunch of wizards in that set.
1: You're missing possibly the most important card
0: here. Well, hold on, Laboratory is notable for one reason specifically. It bounces Snapcaster Mages. Mm-hmm. Uh Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would imagine any deck to play snapcaster will try and fit one.
0: Well, there is those. a blue red wizards deck that runs wizards lightning and bolts and and whatever and gets all the wizards flying, right? Yes. Yeah, and the that, wizards lightning bolt and all that. And but. that's probably the 4th or 5th best like red included aggro build in modern right now, maybe 5th or 6th. But I'm curious whether Riptide Laboratory matters to anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think the deck plays it. I don't think that Riptide Laboratory moves that deck from Tier 3 or 4 to Tier 1. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) But people will play it.
0: They, uh, They showed off Chitter Splitter this pile of squirrel nonsense two and a green for an artifact at the beginning of your upkeep you may sacrifice a token if you do put an acorn counter on chitter splitter squirrels you control get plus one plus one for each acorn counter on chitter splitter and then green tap create a one one green squirrel creature token so you get as you are sacking tokens your tokens are your squirrel squirrel tokens and a lot of the squirrel cards make squirrel tokens are getting bigger and bigger so along the way, it's kind of like, it functions a lot like uh, Arid Mesa from back in the day, where you you start making Pegasi, but if you can only make one a turn, it always eats it. Sacred Mesa. Sacred Mesa, that's it. It uh, has a similar vibe to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an auto-include in Chatterfang. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I think it's it's the, the number decks that play Chatterfang and decks that play Chitter Splitter are like a ninety nine percent overlap, <laughs> yep. basically a circle.
0: Um, but the the revert I- the reverse is not true. You always want the Chitter Splitter and Chatterfang, uh, or Chatterfang if you're playing Chitter Splitter, but not necessarily the the reverse. Jason's been pointing out that uh, Chatterfang can actually be built without much regard for squirrels at all.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. If you wanted to go that route. I, I I don't know how many people will do that. How many people are building Chatterfang that don't care about the squirrel component? Did, I don't know. Did we talk about Esper Sentinel last week? Oh, I don't believe so. And I was going to mention that earlier when we were talking about... The modular stuff that that actually struck me as one of the most legit cards of this stripe in Modern Horizons. This is the one mana, one, one artifact human soldier. Um, but the key point here is a one mana, one, one artifact creature. And whenever opponent casts their first non creature spell, you draw a card unless they pay X, where X is its power. So this is kind of like the competitive Ristic study. You only get to draw one card. Per turn if your opponent plays it on creature spell, but like if this draws you one card in a game, it's not bad. If this draws you more than one card in a game, that's quite good given that it's a one-mana, one-one artifact. Like, there's it comes down so fast, um, it's got synergies being in this artifact. I mean, you can. Sometimes people will be able to pay the tax, but you will also be able to pump it, its power, and make it basically impossible. Uh, This is is probably has a high chance of being
0: one of the most, I would say, meaningful artifact cards in the set. So imagine these play patterns. Of the top five most played cards overall in Modern, you have Bolt, Path, Fatal Push, Veil of Summer, and Thoughtseize. If you go turn one Esper Sentinel, almost no matter what they do, Bolt, path, or push it. On one mana, if you went first, you're drawing a card to replace it. If they thought-seize you, they thought-seize, and you draw a card.
1: Yep, and if they don't do that, because they're going to save the... They're going to wait a turn to do it after, you now untap, you know, attack for one, play a two-drop, and now your opponent has basically just time-walked themselves to prevent you from drawing a card. Like
0: That's not good either. And it's relevant that this thing is a human, because if your next play is Thalia's Lieutenant, it puts a plus one plus one counter on each other human you control, which includes mm-hmm. this thing. And then it's a 2-2 and they have to pay two to Thought, seize, Path, Bolt, etc. Yeah, it's, it's really easy, I think,
1: to look at the art on this card and the frame and kind of get hung up on it being an artifact. But truth be told, it probably is more relevant that it's a human. Because it seems slightly easier to increase its power quickly in a human deck because of Thalia's lieutenant and humans tending, I think, to use sort of anthem style effects a little more than the artifact aggressive
0: artifact decks do. Well, it's unclear to me whether this can find a home in an affinity build on the basis that it doesn't it can carry the counters, but it doesn't give up any. Yeah. So that's that's a that might be awkward and i'm not it, it's not clear to me whether the that that taxes effect forcing the opponent to make some tricky decisions when they're low on resources is enough to justify but the funny thing here is i don't even care if this card is a big deal in modern cuz i'm just convinced it's a like not s tier but a tier card in edh where if you drop this in the first couple turns no one's wasting point removal on this thing and they're just going to let you draw card after card. <laughs> and then you're going to drop a Smothering tide or a Rhystic Study and keep the value tree rolling.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. This card, compared to ristic Study, is pretty gross. A cost Study costs three, and they have to pay two every time. And it's every card, but like, this coming down... It's, it's so cheap and... But they pay one every like, time on rustic. I'm sorry, rustic is one, yes. But, and it's like, rustic seems like a real problem because you're drawing so many. But, you know, like, I can cast four spells on my turn and you only drew one card. That's not as big of a deal. That's not as big of a deal, right? Like, if I'm your opponent, I'm
0: less incentivized to kill this. I, I could see, you know, people in our Discord were like, well, how many cards are you really going to draw off this? Like... Like, one or two, and then they kill it. I'm just like, I just don't think they're going to kill it. Like, it'll get caught up in Wraths, for sure, and incidentally die. But that's true of basically any utility creature. It's true of your birds. It's true of your looters. It's true of everything. It's true of of your commander, for that point, for that matter. But Yeah, I think this card's actually very legit in EDH. But I just think you're going to get your value. And even as a late game card, the thing about EDH is things tend to snowball. So, the... You know, if you, draw, if you draw this on turn 7, that's not the worst thing. Because the chances that you're going to get the triggers is just a lot higher. Because for sure, mm-hmm. your opponents are doing a bunch of stuff. And and also for sure, they probably don't think they need to give crap about this. They're not going to waste time to slow down their turn to kill it.
1: Yeah, it's Rhystic Study puts a target on you. But this doesn't draw you quite as much. And it's a little easier to kill, so people are probably a little less likely... To make a point of destroying it intentionally because they don't feel like you're getting quite as much out of it as Ristic Study. Um, and I mean, this card does not have to draw many before it has become worth it. And you I, know, if you get one turn cycle, you've probably drawn two or three cards.
0: And I also don't think you need to, this needs to be um, necessarily placed in an artifact deck. Like if I'm in Brea, of no, course, this is, no, e- it's is Just a white card. In Brea, this is even better because. I can recurse it with things like Goblin Welder and Goblin Engineer <laughs> and like swap it in and out of the graveyard repeatedly to make sure it's always present. So, that, Th- so that's nice. But in human decks, like is Winota's trigger... Uh, Joiner of Forces... No, whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, you may put a human creature card from among them onto the battlefield, tap and attacking. So you could pull this out from Winota, but that's true of many, many things. That yeah. it being a human and a soldier as well as an artifact gives it a fair amount of tribal flexibility. So there will be a variety of decks that will find a home for it, even if they couldn't justify it just on one mana to draw two or three cards.
1: Yeah, the the human aspect will matter in competitive play as well as the artifact, but just the the rules text will matter a lot more in in EDH and. The way this is worded, if it's opponent one's turn and they cast a spell, you get your trigger. And then opponent two casts a spell in response, you get your trigger. And opponent three casts a spell to get in, you get a trigger. Because it's an opponent each turn. So you can get like all of your opponents, you can get a trigger out of every opponent every turn. So you could potentially hit all three cards in a single turn, the turn after you play it. Which is not a bad play pattern. Uh, I don't know if we talked about, did we talk about Dam last week? Uh, That's a card I've been trying to mention to you. Because read this card from left to right on the top line.
0: Left to right on the top line?
1: Right, the very top line of the card, like the the name of the card. It's damn. hmm And then what is how do you pronounce the next two icons on the card?
0: Damn double black?
1: Mm, what is the letter that's used to indicate those?
0: Damn baby. Damn <laughs> baby. <laughs> which 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 I wondered if that was intentional. <laughs> like it's it's meme tastic for sure. Like people have already been putting yeah. Barbershop shop like uh, altars together for it. The damn baby. This is the best, the best sweeper they printed since Supreme Verdict. Destroy target creature. Very flexible, and then you can overload it if you happen to be in white. I would run it in EDH in pretty much any deck that I was building that was in these two colors because it's, it's just got a, a very high a uh, degree of flexibility and it's never going to be a dead card. It's always going to have a target or a way yeah, to it,
1: If you're in a white black deck, you are playing this before you play wrath of God because it is actually just wrath of God. But also the other half of this card is targeted point removal if you desperately need it. Um, so it'll be very useful in those decks. But again, you have to be playing a white black deck that really wants to play wrath of God. So you've narrowed your selection down a good bit, but it will be good there. Um, Gorilla Shaman, interesting. Uh, unconvinced that it will matter too much. Uh, seems like it would be mostly used to shoot free artifacts. Not clear if that will be necessary. It's very good in Vintage, but in Vintage you get to shoot moxes uh, that are a little more plentiful in that format than they are in modern. Uh, it's a nice
0: sideboard card if affinity becomes a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It has its purposes. Um, Sterling Grove and Sanctum Weaver, definitely seen a an enchantress presence. Big push for enchantment, to bring enchantments to the forefront as an archetype. Um, I'll be curious to see what the lists look like out of the pros, because like it feels like the first... 16 ish slots are pretty obvious, but the question is what are the rest of the slots look like? And that will be where there's probably a little more interest for, from our perspective, because like, what are the older enchantments that, you know, we don't realize they need yet, but once Sam black or whomever is posting those lists, it'll be like, Oh, you know, the first, the one that jumps, comes to mind first is a uh, sphere of safety. Is a potential one. Um, but like what other cards in that vein are there that we might want to go
0: after. Yeah, I mean I am not holding my breath for Enchantress in Modern, but we'll see. I mean Me neither me neither. There there was an insane deck that was posted that was something like uh a Morophon Sliver, five color sliver tribal that finished ninth. Uh yeah, here it is. If you look at the modern challenge from this week we skipped over the most interesting deck because it was a ninth and not in the top eight it had foreign four, four Soren imperious Bloodlord, and sorin has a minus three that lets you put a vampire creature from your hand onto the battlefield well it turns out that morophon is every creature type at all times so you <laughs> so you can drop a morophon with sorin into the battlefield and then uh spells of the chosen type in this case slivers Uh, cast five less to cast. So your Sliver Hive Lords and Sliver Legions and First Slivers all cost zero once Moraphon's in play. So you basically just have to go Sorin on turn three and then drop Moraphon, then drop whatever Slivers are in your hand.
1: Don't forget, now
0: you go Moraphon on turn two or uh, Sorin on turn two with Ignoble. Everything in this deck is just absolute nonsense. There's two, just two, not four, not one. Search for Glory. That's a snow sorcery that was printed in Cattle Time. Search your library for a snow permanent card, a legendary card, or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. You gain one life for each snow spent to cast this spell. Two Shimmer of Possibility. Sorcery. Look at the top four cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Four Eladomris call to go go get slivers and put them into your hand. Four remand and four summoners packed. This is just a random bunch of cards that fell out of a binder. So
1: I love that this guy gets to turn three Soren. Again, with Ignoble turn two Soren, put Morphon in the play, which immediately makes the first sliver free, which then cascades
0: <laughs> yes, into yes, yes, yes. ideally But it also like But it also makes all your other Sliver spells have cascade. Right, which won't work
1: on the Sliver you Cascade into uh, because the way Cascade works. Um, but if you then first Sliver into a Lot of Call, you Cascade into a Lot of Call, you go get Sliver like, Hive Lord. And then first Sliver resolves, and then you Sliver Hive Lord, and you get another Cascade trigger. This is all in turn two. Uh, that is, I think what's in the dictionary for magical christmas land
0: yeah 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 yeah.
1: but uh and so a fun sequence so a fun called you're gonna cult- be cackling with glee uh, doing that at FM. oh i i i
0: there i hope there's a vod of this modern challenge win i'm gonna go try to track it down from black dev 26 because the looks on people's faces would have been priceless if you if they this was on magic online i want to see what the chat log looked like <laughs> <laughs> when they were beating them like this. Blah, 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 your trash-ass deck. Uh, but I went down this cul-de-sac to come back to... I'm not holding my breath for Enchantress to be a thing in Modern, but if this deck can be a thing in Modern, then anything can. Well, you know, they
1: get... Um, they have Sterling Grove, which is a important piece of this, uh, because that gives your um, other enchantments Shroud...
0: Yep, can't be targeted. Uh,
1: for two mana. A, you have Solitary Confinement, which is not as good as Elephant Grass, but it is going to do a pretty decent in- impression. Um, you have the, you know your Enchantress's Presence, as well as a couple other enchantment-related cards that are two and three mana that have been floating around the format, but that have never really got where they need to go. Like you have Sanctum Weaver. Um, you know If you can get that down with a Sterling Grove in play... Like, that's a ramp. And then, you know, Sphere of Safety uh, also makes it basically impossible to attack you if you get one of those into play. Um, It's sort of like a backup solitary confinement. Enchantress and Legacy was always kind of a snowball effect, is it just didn't feel like it was doing anything too meaningful. And then suddenly they had nine enchantments in play, and you could not attack them, and you couldn't cast anything that targeted their enchantments. And unless you had austere Command in your deck, you were not getting anywhere uh so it's a type of deck that i think can look like that on paper you look at and you go i have no idea i do not know if this is going to be if this is going to play out and get nowhere or if this is going to play out and create a wall that people can't get past after turn four um much harder to tell than it is i
0: think with other archetypes so last week we touched on this but we, I didn't mention it when we were. I was talking about the archetypes wizards was trying to push, but Merfolk is clearly one of the tribes they tried to give some love here. And apparently the story goes that Brad Nelson was tasked with making Merfolk viable, and spent a ton of time testing and crafting cards to go into the archetype. One of the ones that they revealed on May 30th was Tide Shaper, a Merfolk wizard for one blue. It's a one-one. You can kick it for one. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, target land becomes an island for as long as Tide Shaper remains on the battlefield, and it gets plus one plus one as long as an opponent controls an island. So for two, it's a 2-2 two, two that uh, replaces the spell that Merfolk used to cast to turn people's things into islands.
1: Spreading seas. Yeah.
0: So this is a spreading. Whereas sea-
1: spreading seas repl- just gave you a card. This gives you a two
0: two. Right, merfolk. So you're getting which is better than a card because it synergizes with your turn two play, which is going to be Lord of Atlantis. That's going to give this island walk and plus one plus one and let it hit for three.
1: Give give all your merfolk island walk. Yeah, um, yeah it is. You know, like instead of spreading seas, you get this uh, a. 2-2 Merfolk is better than the random than the card you drew with Spreading Seas. Also, because it's in play, you don't have to spend the mana on it. It's good. I don't know. Like, is it good enough? I don't know. Right. But that's what they're shooting for.
0: So with Modern Horizons 1, they gave us... They, they had this huge setup one day during the reveal period where we were all watching on stream. They told us they were going to show us a new Mox. And then they showed us the Mox Tantalite art. Being crafted from beginning to completion. And the art was gorgeous. And we were all so excited. And then Tantalite ended up being irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So they tried to do the same trick again. Because why not? They gave us Soul Talisman. So instead of Soul Ring, you've got Soul Talisman. Artifact. Better call, better call Soul Talisman. <laughs> yep. Suspend three. Cost one. And then... After three turns, you get a soul ring. Everybody seems real down on this card. I definitely can't see it in modern because I don't think I can't picture how the for Tool decks need it um, as part of the the suspend suite of like twelve or sixteen suspend cards they're going to use. In EDH, it seems fine to me. Really, like people well, people are saying like drawing this in EDH on turn seven is such a feel bad because you can't use it forever, but on turn seven, drawing a normal sword ring is not a whole lot better.
1: Uh,
0: so, I, I mean,
1: in the modern side of things, it depends on what what the asphalt told decks want to do. Like, if you're on a restore balance build, then the fact that you can suspend this on turn three, or on turn one, but then you have it on turn three and it won't get eaten by your restore balance, even after you eat your lands, is good. Like, right, you're going to try and get rid of your lands, but then you have soul talisman to to give you a a little bit of a boost. Um, Or you can just cast it for free with the Told if you don't have anything immediately available. That's not terrible, but it's very narrow, right? And I don't know who else wants this. In EDH, I mean, this is much worse than soul ring on turn seven because soul rings make you monitor the turn you draw it. So by the time, the difference between this, and a normal soul ring three turns later, is that the soul ring that you already drew made you five mana? It's like it your, punt, it's like it punted your and draw, and It's, it's like us. it
0: punted your draw step three turns.
1: Yeah, but I mean it's much worse than drawing soul ring late in the game. And drawing soul ring late in the game is already eh. Depends on the board state whether or not you're happy with that. But like you
0: probably aren't really wild about having it. It's fine. So but the thing is on turns one through four, which is where I care most about what mana rocks I draw and what they do. If I if I find this and and suspend it, I'm gonna be fine with that when it comes off. Uh it's not it's yes, not a whole I lot agree. different than the four mana rocks that, that tap for two that people play, or Warren Powerstone for that matter.
1: You're right. You're right. It's 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 in probably a middle-ish of the road. Um, where the question is, will people still play it even if they think it looks bad? Like the true value of this card, the true, the game value of this card in EDH may be somewhere in the middle-ish of the pack. But if people look at it and think it's bad, they're not really going to play it. I don't have an answer like as to how good it is. I think, you know, drawing this somewhere between turns one and four is fine, Drawing this after turn four doesn't feel great, especially even just a normal soul ring is fine. Um, And you know, you think Legacy is the Brainstorm format. Brainstorm is too good for Legacy, but they let them play it. Uh, Vintage is the anything format. Modern used to be the Mox Opal format. Now I don't know what it is. Uh, And EDH is the soul ring format. And soul ring is the best card in that format, essentially. Um, But this is much further away from that. So the the comparison is
0: just so bad I kind of wonder if it's going to sour people. So fine yeah, first of all it's got it's got baggage from tantalite. Um it's also a rare not a mythic and the art is worse than tantalite. But it gets a foil extended art version. So and and there is actually one place that's that's important right now where it has an instant home and that's Ozgear top commander of the season plays Tantalite. That's why Tantalite foils spiked. Tantalite foils are actually hard to come by. There's only 15 results on TCG player. They start at $45 and go up to hundred pretty close, pretty quickly. And that will eventually be a hundred dollar plus card. Cause I don't see wizards rushing to reprint Tantalite. That's for sure. And Ozgear plays Tantalite. Cause it discards it to the yard. Then exiles. It makes two Moxen, rainbow Moxen. If it discards Talisman and, and, pulls the oz gear trick then for zero you get two soul rings
1: yeah
0: it, it will have Narrow specific
1: homes. uses yeah yeah
0: I, which i'm which is fine it's not on my spec list let's put it that way but it would certainly be the kind of card where if it so, like showed up in some really smart looking modern deck where just we didn't we didn't understand how it was going to be useful but it, it suddenly was or a card gets printed that activates it it'd be the kind of thing i'd be loading up an fee e cart of in a hurry yeah i don't
1: mind buying this card i just want to do it pretty cheap um because i'm not convinced that it will get the play pattern you might for some, some may for expect.
0: posterity a year out how many thousands or hundreds of, or tens of copies do you think will be reported played on EDHREC?
1: Okay, hold on a second. I got to go. Um, what was last summer? That was, was that double masters.
0: I'm gonna put it at.
1: No, no. But seriously, was double masters last summer?
0: Double masters was last August.
1: Uh, double masters, August seventh. So if I go look at double masters. And oh, but these are all reprints, so this doesn't quite work the same way. I'm trying to do some. I'd be looking some at something here.
0: like Jewel Lotus from Commander Legends.
1: So Chromatic Orrery, sure, isn't from which is M twenty one, which is right around this time last year.
0: Is eight thousand. And jeweled lotus is already at 16,000, six months out.
1: Ah, uh, soul soul has been probably lands at
0: 10? 9 to ten. I was going to put say sixty eight hundred. So you're actually ahead of me. So you think it's less than chromatic ory? I- I'm not. I honestly can't. Couldn't tell you. I'd have to think about it harder. Yeah, but I'll, but I'll tell you this much: if it's at least as much as Chromaticory, then it is a spec. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it, that's a fifteen dollar card. It's a mythic, but just the normal version of that card is fifteen bucks.
0: Yeah, well, this is only a rare. That's the thing, but right, but but but
1: but what's the price per pack?
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot higher. Good point. So, mm-hmm. a couple more cards I want to get through that we'll we'll head off here. Inevitable Betrayal was another blue suspend card that was revealed. It's basically suspend bribery search target players library for a creature card put that card onto the battlefield under your control then that player shuffles uh a lot less exciting i think in modern than edh modern it could have niche sideboard applications i suppose especially if there is an as foretold deck and say they're playing against eldrazi or something uh yeah
1: the the blue and red um what are we calling them what is the term the the blue and red suspend cards are not like very good the red ones a warp world for yourself like well neither's getting a lot of this one seems
0: very fine to me in edh like it's you suspend this anytime in the early to mid game and by mid game you know who's got the silliest stuff in their deck and you just go pull out their best thing yeah
1: i mean bribery's five mana like to just do it and this is suspend for three like you save two mana to do it later three turns later i mean that's not a particularly attractive exchange and
0: bribery is only reported in 4700 total decks
1: yeah which frankly should be more i don't think i think a lot of people just do not know bribery exists possibly but that's sort of beside the point
0: um
1: so a couple that i i thought were relevant uh karmic guide for sure sure karmic guide enables all sorts of goofy stuff Um, again, I saw that card get mentioned over and over again with, um, Imperial Recruiter. Uh, it makes reanimating strategies interesting.
0: Yep. Uh,
1: Goblin Bombardment, by the way, with two, um, Karma Guides is infinite damage. And Goblin Bombardment, by the way, is in modern now uh so karmic guide is very relevant there i don't remember there's a lot of versions of that card if memory serves me yeah there are karmic guide doesn't have any stellar copies there is a judge promo at 35 and the art's not bad that might be worth considering uh, Urzel's legacy, legacy copies are in the two hundred dollar range, so probably not playing those. But those Judge Foil Karmic guides are worth considering. Other than that, you have EMA foils, um, so nothing too exciting there. Karmic
0: Karmic I Judge foils are probably are almost certainly a buy.
1: Yeah. Uh, upheaval, big question there big question there we'll see we'll see what uh, you
0: do is you upheaval and then your your soul ring comes off suspend
1: uh, if you could figure out how to get that <laughs> timing to work for you um I have not figured out yavamaya cradle of growth the green herborg. um I can tell you it's a spec yeah I mean anyone in so anyone who's playing green with more than two colors in edh will play it yep
0: that's all it needs
1: the, yeah, I mean, it's very good from that perspective. I'm trying to figure out if it's relevant in Modern. And I, I'm i inclined to say it's not. Aside from being like monofixing in a couple decks. But for the... Well, it's probably... It definitely it, seems more of an EDH thing.
0: Nisa, who shakes the world, is the most interesting there. Because all your lands are forests and she can... Therefore, she can impact all of them.
1: True. Which is... Uh, I, we've seen Nisa shakes the world in Modern before, haven't we? Mm
0: big deal in Pioneer.
1: Was that what I was? In the mono
0: green deck with Garen Brig. I mean When when they had Once Upon a Time and all the nonsense. That is a f- interesting combination.
1: Um, I will tell you, Nick those decks with one or two of the new Yavamaya cradles and a Nissa or two, like suddenly doubling all your land uh, It's not insignificant. We talked about, did we talk about Dermotaxi? <laughs>
0: uh, we did in the Discord, but I don't think we, I think it was the card I was about to start talking about when you called us off last week.
1: Okay. Because uh, we, we don't, I don't remember talking about Ragavan with you either.
0: Dermotaxi is sneaky good.
1: I, Dermotaxi is my pick for like big, possibly the biggest sleeper of the set. I don't know for sure yet. I I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's good. And I'm not saying it's like a Hogak, but I think that card is flying way under the radar.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, there was people talking about it as it was first revealed, but it's been uh, fallen by the wayside. And now you're waiting for the Sand Blacks of the world to cough up some like sick-looking lists and demonstrate some play patterns.
1: Yeah, like you can kill people with phage with this card.
0: So this is a... Phage?
1: the untouchable this is
0: two mana for an artifact vehicle it imprints so as it enters the battlefield you have to exile a creature card from a graveyard so you have to get a really good creature into a graveyard then you play the dermotaxi for two tap two untapped creatures you control until end of turn dermotaxi becomes a copy of the imprinted card except it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types so it's vulnerable from being an artifact you have to have other creatures in play to make it work and you have to have put a creature uh, from... Well, you don't have to put a creature in a graveyard. Somebody has to have put a good creature in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. So it, Probably you. So it's interesting. Like For instance, say Elves was a thing. And say Reanimator was also a thing. And they were constantly in the top eight. You could see Dermotaxis coming out of the Elves sideboard. Where they use it to like steal the thing that they just entombed. And then activate their Dermotaxi with the Elves. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean... You, the the play pattern on this is something like maybe turn one. <clears throat> well, we don't have Faithless Looting anymore, but something, something, right? Uh, Stitcher Supplier, um, <clears throat> or Hedron Crab or something like that. Uh, turn two, Dermotaxi eating whatever creature it is that you manage to get into the graveyard. It's not a creature yet; it's just an artifact, so it can't die to any of those effects. No swords, no path yet. Um, turn three. You make two tokens with any of the of cards that can do that. Um, you can immediately, because this doesn't, because of the way this is worded, you can immediately tap them. They don't need haste to activate Dermotaxi, which is now just that creature that you exiled. So it's possible they they can never um, swords or fatal push or what have you because it had whatever you copied has protection in some capacity. But that can put your opponents on a real back foot. Like, you can be swinging for essentially lethal uh, on turn three. So, you have, I mean, Fades the Untouchable is very funny. That's the creature from Legions, who, if it damages at a player, they lose the game. But if it enters the battlefield and you didn't cast it, you lose the game. Except you get to step around that clause with Thermocap Cap Taxi. So, you just swing with like a 4 4. I don't think she has fear, but just a 4 4 that if they don't block, they lose. Uh, which is amusing. But you there's also a Eldrazi who has um, Annihilator 3 uh, who doesn't shuffle your graveyard, which means you can, again, activate this on turn 3, swing for Annihilator 3. They probably don't have many more than 3 permanents in play. And they're so
0: never going to have any more because they're going to quit immediately.
1: Right. So that's pretty much game right there. There's a lot of play. And and even if this is not like an ultra fast setup, like you can do some, I mean, later on in the game, if you exile a creature, if you imprint a creature with haste, or if you give this haste in some other fashion, you can, this is not expensive. You can mill a creature, cast Dermotaxi, tap the two creatures to activate it and swing all in one turn. That's not a like mana intensive play that it opens a door to like a kind of a longer term more gra- attrition-y graveyard strategy too just i don't know man this card has is giving me like heart of Kirin vibes
0: you also get massive style points if you win a game of magic with a dead mastodon on wheels Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so Trans- Wait, no, this, this, this jumped out at me that was my experience I,
0: i'm in the same boat I, this is definitely a card to watch um off the top of your head, because I'm assuming you haven't checked, what do you think Card Kingdom is pre-ordering Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer regular copies? It's a myth. Oh, people people are super hot on this card. Okay. Uh, what, like $25, 30 bucks? Seventy nine ninety nine. Eighty dollars for Ragavan. That's what Card Kingdom says.
1: Uh, okay, they, they sure. They're it is legally allowed for them to ask that question. That that we that's like saying we have
0: located the next Tarmogoyf, right?
1: Uh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, pretty much. So then that's the So then that's the next point of discussion. It, it's the highest priced mythic they have from the set. They have mm-hmm. subtlety, Cabalcoffers, and grief, sword sword of Hearth and Home, all over sixty. These prices seem very elevated to me. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me that the best Mythics in the set in regular version would be more than 20 to $30 based on what we saw with Modern Horizons 1. <clears throat> the fancy versions, like if Ragavan sees a lot of play and a build that top 8s regularly and it's a 2 to 4 of there, then the fancy versions will certainly be worth money because it's you know, if it's a top-tier staple in the format and it only came out as a mythic, then sure. Now let's talk about this card for a second, because a lot of our Discord is very split on it. Some people think it's it's cool that it's gonna do work, others think it's overhyped. It's a 2-1 for one red monkey pirate. When it deals combat damage to a player, you create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library, and until end of turn you can cast that card. So, if he hits. He also has dash for one and a red, which basically means you get to let him sit in your hand, and when there's an opportunity to get in without being interfered with, because they're tapped out, either on board or in hand or both, you can get him in sneaky and then put him back in your hand where they can't get at him. So, if he gets in, he both opens up the opportunity to cast a bonus card and gives you the mana to do it. But are you... Where do you place this on your ranking list for modern S tier, A tier, B tier, Fringe?
1: Mm, a, I think.
0: Yeah, I've got it somewhere between. A between and B. Yeah, exactly. I, I've got it somewhere like near a B plus.
1: I I think the card is obviously very is very use is powerful, but my problem with red one drops is that there's not a lot of places red one drops can typically live.
0: Well, and and those slots are are very taken. Soul Scar yeah. Mage, uh, uh, Monastery Swift Spear, um, Goblin Guide, like these are not trivial creatures. These are proven providers. <laughs> um, I'm also curious whether it's actually aggro decks or more mid rangey decks that want this. Like, is this a jund card? Yeah, I don't. It
1: it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's a jund card. Uh, but I know exactly what you're saying. That you're probably playing. Sl- it's like it's not a burn card. It's a little
0: bit fatter than that. Um, but on ignoble hierarch, is- turn two, you could thought seize them to get get rid of a key piece of removal. Tap the hierarch. Tap your first land. Dash ragavan. On the hierarch tr- trigger, deal three. Get a mana bolt something else or thought sees them again or drop another hierarch like they're if depending on what's off the top of their deck obviously uh or cast something out of your own hand i mean there's there are certainly play patterns there that seem attractive
1: yeah yeah i don't i don't disagree with it like i i don't think the card's bad i just don't think that it's like it's not the second coming of Tarmogoyf.
0: i'm surprised to see ck putting subtlety the blue evoke creature in second slot flash flying four for a three three flyer when subtlety enters the battlefield choose up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library their choice
1: yeah so you it's it's a it might be a force of will if they're okay with it being that or it just puts it back on top of our library, which feels really bad. But you spent two cards to do that. This is not that good. This can't be a like, $70 It's not card, a bad right? card, but it's not that good.
0: Can't be a seventy dollar card, right?
1: No, I mean, I mean, it's pre order, so like you know, it's just no holds barred. I mean, the the, the kind less. of deck that's
0: willing to delay you for a turn feels like the prowess builds, right? But are they gonna do? They have slots for this. <laughs> Um, prowess I, just wants to stop th- you like time walk you hit you again for a bunch but the thing is that the, in- the subtlety doesn't trigger the prowess triggers because it's a creature yeah so yeah
1: it's i'm not saying it won't have homes it's just sort of eh. I do not
0: i don't i don't see a 70 dollar card here i can bu- i can no. buy into that ragavan cabal coffers in grief might be the top three mythics it's interesting to me that none of the planeswalkers uh people seem to be very excited about and they're not in in the high price points at all in fact they've got yavimaya cradle of growth at 40 dollars, and they've got <clears throat> grist at 49 so grist grist below all of the fetch lands they didn't re- mm-hmm. they did reveal one more planeswalker we should probably touch on and then we can call him night gayadrone dahada was revealed and i saw the full art for this today and i wish they had made the card full art because the bottom of the card is the most interesting part like she doesn't have legs she just has octopus tentacles and you can see like a snip like a little piece of them in the way that they cropped it but the full art is much more impressive this is one uh grixis legendary creature dahada sorry legendary planeswalker dahada protection from permanence with corruption counters on them plus one each opponent loses two life and you gain two life put a corruption counter on up to one other target creature or planeswalker minus three gain control of target creature or planeswalker until end of turn untap it and put a corruption counter on it it gains haste until end of turn minus seven gain control of each permanent with a corruption counter on it this set of abilities is a lot more defensible in one-on-one play than it is in EDH because the corruption counters aren't going to provide her much protection on a very no, board with me- multiple people
1: meaningless in EDH so yeah.
0: let, let's say that you're trying to drop this in modern against prowess they've already got you down to like 8 you drop Drone plus plus 1 4 point life swing you go up to so you're at 10 and you put a corruption counter on their monastery swift spear so it can't hit you for 4 next turn
1: you can't hit gear Oh,
0: right, 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 right. So they just hit you <laughs> instead and, and they ignore her completely. Yeah. So, I'm not I'm not really seeing this in modern yeah, and I'm not right. really sure where you're going to see it to be honest. No. Like I'd like, Defyron- like I would run this thematically in my Bolas Planeswalker like Ravager deck in EDH just cuz it's a cool Grixis curve, but not cuz it was good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's good if you're hot for squids, but other than that you're not playing it.
0: Sanctifier and Vec is a
1: powerful card um, as a sideboard card or, or, or main Decade Bear, but I don't think too much beyond that. The Titania we talked about. I don't think Calder Complete is better than Skull. Strike it Rich, by the way, that might be my pick for uh, Buy a Brick. That's the one mana sorcery create a treasure token with flashback. Really? It's an interesting spell. It's an interesting spell. What's your
0: logic there?
1: Um, it is monomorphos. Close, yeah. Except better. Well, it doesn't draw I guess it doesn't draw a card. That's the problem. Is the is the problem. But like it makes a token and it's a treasure token. it's interesting. Maybe maybe it's not, but it's an interesting card.
0: The green uh, evoke creature seems solid because of its ability to be played in cocoa. Because they made it three mm-hmm. mana or less, it's only a 3-4 reach, but that can block some interesting things in the format. Uh, and being able to be cocoed into play, and they put all the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library. So you get a 3-4 that incidentally hates on the graveyard. That, that'll see some play.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will. Uh, Sithis, uh, by the way, is for the enchantment decks. I forgot they spoiled this today, which is whenever you would cast an enchantment spell, draw gain a life and draw a card.
0: Yeah, that's what I that's what I was talking about earlier.
1: You did you oh you that's the one you said earlier. Okay, I didn't connect those dots. Yeah, that that's how you make the the um Sterling Grove solitary confinement work. Um I guess I I, I didn't
0: Yeah, I called. I called this all out. Like that an hour ago because this is so, it's easily the most pushed enchantress and I, the most pushed part about it is that it's an enchantment itself.
1: I think I didn't hear the name of it mm-hmm. and so I didn't look it up because <laughs> I wasn't sure what precisely you were talking, which card you referred to. Yeah, fair enough. Um,
0: but Bo- Bottom line, how are you, on a scale 1 to 10, how are you rating MH2?
1: Uh, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different scales to rate it on, but this seems very good. Like, it it's got a lot of Time Spiral, like the original Time Spiral notes in it, which is satisfying. Stuff like Alter the Goyf is kind of cool in terms of like, hey, you've been playing Magic for a long time. This card's cool, right? <laughs> Power level seems potent both for competitive Magic and um, EDH. Uh, does has some fun cards in here. It's a shame that the special border cards are so bad in this set. Like, the sketch frames are so bad. I wish they were better. Um, Like, you know,
0: Mystical Archives were so good. So, I don't know. Maybe... Well,
1: I mean, it's probably an 8, an well, eight yeah. maybe even a 9. Well, yeah,
0: but Mystical Archives, they also hit on the etched. Like, on, on a big thing. Like, in fact, the, the thing that they clearly thought was going to be the coolest in both Strixhaven, Strixhaven CBs and MH2 CBs is cl- clearly not. The foil etched cards are actually very handsome in person from the Mystical Archives, but are, have a bad reputation for being underwhelming and kind of pointless, because in a sleeve you can hardly tell the difference. And we have Discord members who are constantly complaining that they will order a mystical archive foil and some, or a non-foil and somebody will send them the etched foil instead. So I mean that's just a <laughs> I, total nightmare for the industry. And then I just meet, and then for the sketch and on. then for MH2, they have a bunch of dedicated slots in the CBs for sketch cards. So, yeah. so <laughs> people are going to have like tons of those sitting around and be like, eh, cool. I, I-
1: Yeah, I just mean that, like, the mystical archives as a frame in Strixhaven made it cooler, right? Like, everyone liked the frames.
0: Are you talking about the Japanese ones or the Global art?
1: Either. Okay. It doesn't really matter. Like, Like, think about some sets have had special border cards, right? Like, Zendikar had the original expeditions. Kaladesh had inventions. Omgat had invocations. This one has sketch cards. Well, the sketch cards are very bad compared to a lot of the other sets in the well, special frames they came. Let's with.
0: Let's put it this way. It's a real it's a good thing that the only that they provided old border foils alongside the sketch. Yes, because if they had hung their hat just on sketch, we would have had problems.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. It, the, the, yes, the, the fact that there's old borders makes us better, too. I'm just saying, like, if you had replaced the sketch cards, if sketch cards were in Strixhaven and Mystical Archives were in this the set would be even better. It'd be like, wow, all of this is cool. Plus we get this great showcase frame as opposed to, all oh, of this is great as long as I don't open those stupid sketch cards. Um, so I think I think it's a very good set. Uh, definitely one of the best they've made in, in a long time. What about you? I'm on the same page. Do you feel different? I, I think it's
0: yeah. a... That it hits a lot of interesting notes. I think interesting is probably the key word tagline for the set they, they didn't go to make just pure power here they did a bunch of inside jokes that where they dare you to break cards that they have theoretically fixed like a lot of the most powerful things going on here are stuff we we have already we already have access to but now they're saying if you can figure out how to make this work you can get it for less you can yog will but you got to figure it out you can thought right. for free, but you gotta figure it out. Um, and so some of that will end up getting broken. Like what do you do you I haven't spotted something that I think is like instant ban like Hogak yet, but I have like five or six cards where I'm like <laughs> this could certainly be bannable in the right situation. Like the Yog will well, the, the Yog will at minimum seems banable.
1: Yeah. Yog will, um, grief. Are two front runners. I mean, the thing is, nobody looked at nobody looked at Hogok and thought it was bannable, right? Like you probably most people look at it and think the at best you looked at and thought the power level was pretty high. Um,
0: People said that there were there weren't going to be enough cards in the graveyard to cast it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. You know, even, even the people who just listening to uh, the cast who had no one to listen to them but their friends probably didn't
0: rate Hogak quite that high. So, so it's hard to pick out the cards here that are that good. <laughs> so sorry, I do have one final card that we have to touch on given the Hogak reference. Merktide Regent was revealed today. Five, oh, yeah. five and two yeah. blue for a 3-3 three, three delve flying. When it enters the battlefield, it has a plus one plus one candor for each instant and in sorcery card that it delved. And whenever an instant or sorcery card leaves your graveyard, put a plus one plus one counter on Merktide region. Regent. So if you delve anything afterwards, it gets bigger. So this is let's say that you had four or five instant of sorcery. Say you had four instant of sorceries. This is a three mana uh, seven seven that gets bigger when you say lava dart out of your graveyard later.
1: Yeah, I I, I think the last clause is probably mostly irrelevant. And four cards, delving four instants in sorceries is dreaming big. Uh so I think that I think a more reasonable approach is to imagine it's going to be a five-five or maybe a six-six. But a two mana five five flyer or a two mana six six flyer are both potent cards and well, I would generally say that a two mana five five is pr- probably not good enough. A two mana flying five five might be the difference.
0: Tomb Delver is not tremendously different than this. Tomb Stalker. Tomb Stalker. It costs eight, yeah. right? And and is reduced by any card at your graveyard. Uh,
1: correct. It's just a, it's just a five five, five flyer with delve that costs eight. So, at best, it was a two mana five five flyer.
0: Yep. So this is just a little bit better than that. I The most obvious home for it would be like Legacy Delver as a replacement for Ethereal Forager. Uh,
1: Yeah, possibly. And I mean, any of those decks that are playing Delve creatures are going to take a look at it. I mean, Tombstalker's not busted, but it has definitely seen its fair share of play. So, Murktide Regent might be good enough. I mean, in a Delver deck, yeah. in, in regard, Really, in any format, a Delver deck might be interested in it.
0: And it's certainly, yeah, an eye- it's certainly worth keeping an eye on in the blue-red decks in Modern, because it's a Mythic. So, if it's a Mythic 4-of, then that's a thing. Yeah. If, if it's a Mythic 1-of in that deck, then, then I, and that's the only deck it shows up in, then I care a lot less.
1: Truth be told, I think that if you're going to see it as a Mythic 4-of, you're doing that in Pioneer, not Modern. But then again, I don't know if Pioneer has a spell support, so it's hard
0: to say. Does Pioneer still have Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time unbanned? Uh,
1: le- Treasure Cruise legal in Pioneer. Dig Through Time legal in Pioneer. <laughs> However, you cannot play you cannot play all these cards together because you will not <laughs> like the. The problem your, isn't your graveyard the graveyard isn't big enough yeah, the problem is you're missing all of the one mana spells, mm-hmm. I think. But I guess you have like Opt is legal and pioneer, right? Uh...
0: Well, you need mana f- morpho style stuff that like cycles and puts more instants into the graveyard. Anyway, re- yeah. Regent is worth keeping an eye on. is a, a mythic that could be competitive level stable.
1: Yes, it's worth keeping an eye on. I'm not like Super hot on it today, but uh, F- final
0: point: keep pre-order pricing looks insane. Just hold your ammo, folks. <laughs> there, there are better opportunities coming for sure, because tons of this will be cracked. Like, I, I, think, I think one of the reasons that CK is so high on the pre-order pricing is they know that Wizards has kind of intentionally res- constrained the supply. Like, I'm, I'm hearing that first wave. Is going to be largely underwhelming. Somebody told me today that they ordered three hundred cases of uh, MH two CBs and got allocated seven.
1: Hmm. Wait.
0: Th- they ordered three hundred, and got seven. Yep. That's quite a period of time. I'm not surprised. Um, I'm not surprised they can't get three hundred cases. But let's say even yeah, put it in the context of saying. I want to get 30 cases and getting seven. You're in that kind of territory similar to how Pokemon has been over the last couple of years where basically nobody but the very biggest people that have the the deepest relationships with the distributors can get their hands on anything And, and it like sells out instantly at ridiculous prices even though they're going to reprint it in six or 12 months or whatever. So I, what I, my read on all this is that Wizards is doing a couple things simultaneously that we've touched on in the past and are worth repeating. They remove some percentage of the product that would be available in Wave 1 to the LGSs. They hold that back to be sold through Amazon at a higher margin that they largely get to eat from. And in doing so, they drive the price up of the sealed product because there's just not enough of it sitting around in the market. And then later this summer, around D&D or beyond beyond that, like heading into the fall, you're going to see boxes lying around very, very close to cost as they finally filter into the market. But if the set is a runaway home run and people keep buying it, then the question becomes, You know, is Amazon going to have the cheapest possible pricing ever three months from now and it's going to sit like that for a whole year? And if so, which products are we talking about? Because of draft set and CBs, the only one I, I see Wizards reprinting into this print to demand thing that everybody thinks is the hallmark of sets like MH2 is the set booster boxes. They've made it very clear that draft booster boxes are not what they want to be producing. And so some vendors have actually priced their draft booster boxes higher than set booster boxes because there's just so much less of those being allocated. And the CBs, so far as we know, have never been reprinted for any product. So, And I've heard that they printed like 10% less of these CBs than they would normally do for a standard set, as opposed to the 15% more that we heard about for Zendikar Rising. And that makes sense because they're trying to get 400 for them, not 200. So if you're going to nearly double the price, you're going to print less of something because normal price theory dictates that the elasticity of the market is not so stretchy that they're going to buy the same amount when the price doubles. It's, it's quite a, quite a
1: complicated system they've been building for themselves here. And it's a, I think these are reasonable insights into what they're attempting to do.
0: Yeah. So, worth everybody keeping their eye on. But, again, pre-order prices for singles look pretty bonkers to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, that just kind of goes without saying at this point.
0: All right. Where can people find you online, Travis?
1: I am on Twitter, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about you? You can
0: find me on Twitter at mdg critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd like to point out that Cliff Daigle on our team, longstanding uh, MDG Price writer, put up his stats article for the Modern Horizons uh, products, giving you some uh, hit rates and lottery ticket breakdowns for, you know, how many packs do you have to open to get a old border foil fetch and so forth. So make sure you check that out at mtgprice.com. Also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $9.99 a month or one hundred and nine ninety nine per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 274. A lot to talk about this week, and probably a lot
0: to talk about next week, too. So I'll see you then. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Finance.